0: Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we want to thank You and praise You and worship You that You are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You that You've had this Word, and this Word has been given to us, and it's been sealed, it's been settled in heaven for thousands of years. And it's like we've read this book as a novel, We've not read it as an owner's manual from the creator of the universe, our God. But, Lord, now you're revealing these things to us, and we're learning what it takes to do what you say. And when we look back and see where we've missed it, you will be faithful and forgive us when we repent, and then you will restore us. And, Lord, we're grateful for that. And, Lord, we are so grateful for the promises and the things you've done in your word. How grateful we are for these mighty promises. Lord, I want to praise you and worship you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, I know today to start off with, uh, we have some wonderful testimonies here, and I don't know how many we're going to take to start off with, but uh, I want to tell you one thing for sure. Uh, Back in August, there was a family came down from up north, and there was a 14... I believe the girl was 14. Isn't your sister 80, 14? Isn't your sister 14 years old? Huh? She's 16? Okay. This, This girl, she's 16 now, so she was 15 then, I guess. But that young girl, she came down, and she came to me after the healing school, and she says, I have a brother that was injured in a skiing accident and said uh, the doctors say he's going to be comatose and he's going to be a vegetable and he's never going to walk or talk or nothing. And she said, I believe that if you will agree with me in prayer, that God will heal my brother. Well, that's since August. And I'm going to bring the mic over here and I'm going to let this young man give you a little bit of his testimony or his daddy and he is here today and... Tell us a little bit about what God has done for you, Eddie. Hold that mic close.
1: Well, God has introduced
0: and shown me more, well, a lot more about what He promises us in His Word. And I... Believe it.
1: Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles
0: it. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. This young boy was not ever going to walk or talk or do nothing, and his sister, because of her great faith, and she came and we prayed, and now her brother is here today. From what state are y'all from? Minnesota. They're from Minnesota. He was injured in a skiing accident. And, of course, in his uh, email and everything I've got, he realizes that he was not obedient to his parents all the time. He didn't do what they said, and he did lots of things he wasn't supposed to, and it's unfortunate that he paid a serious consequence. But now then, he said, I have repented of everything. I'm going to walk in obedience to God's Word. And if God said it, that settles it. I'm going to do it. And so the, the, the moral of the story is be obedient to God from day one. You know, if you're walking obedience to God's Word, you don't have to go through these things. Or at least not near so many of them, I will have to say. The trials and tests won't be near so severe. But uh, we are glad that we serve a God that is merciful and kind, that when we repent, he will restore us and heal us and raise us up. Because he was injured so severely in that skiing uh, accident that he was never going to walk or talk or nothing. He was going to be a vegetable. Well, as you see, he's not a vegetable. He's doing pretty good. He's up and he could walk with his dad's help a little bit and... And now then, he's listening to God's Word and reading it and studying it, uh, I think, a lot. He's in the Word a lot. Yeah, praise the Lord. So, I was so grateful this young man said he was coming today, and I wanted you to hear his testimony to start off with. Praise the Lord. Now, does anybody else have a testimony that you want to give us to start off here? Anybody else got another one? Going once, going twice. Okay, brother, right back here. Come up here. I see what
2: God's done for you. Earlier uh, this week, I think it was, I'm a paramedic over in Fort Worth, and I um, had the opportunity, I I, I pray with my patients a lot, and I had the opportunity to pray a prayer of faith with a lady. And um, I'll try not to get too technical, but she had cellulitis in her legs, and the bottom of her legs were just really swollen, just extremely swollen, um, sorry about that. Anyway, uh, and they were incredibly painful. I mean, they were just tight. They were just two, three times as large as they would normally be. Anyway, I did all the things, the technical things that I have to do. It's just one of those things, you know, you have to do those kind of things. You know, and my boss gets upset if I don't. But anyway, um, so we did all those things. And then I called my report to the hospital. And I sat next to her and I said, do you mind if I pray for you? Oh, honey, that would just be fantastic. So we prayed the prayer of faith. And uh I quoted a few scriptures uh, Mark uh I knew I forget these when I come up here. Anyway, um Mark eleven, Mark sixteen. Yeah, thank you. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, and uh and and we prayed a prayer of faith. And so we finished praying, and, and she just couldn't stop glory, you know, praising God. We get in, and we unload her out of the back of the ambulance on, on a cot. And before, her legs, they were just so stretched. The skin was so taut and so tight. And as we started going in, I noticed... And there's starting to be wrinkles in there and everything. And as we get her in and get, get her loaded from, from our bed onto the hospital's bed and everything, I noticed the dressings that she had over those blisters and everything, were starting. they were falling off because they were shrinking. Her legs were shrinking so much they, were, they couldn't stand on it. They were just falling right off. Praise the Lord.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God.
2: Okay. Oh, you...
0: Okay, we'll save, the, we'll save the rest of them until after. Uh, the uh, intermediate uh, point when we take a break. We'll, we'll have some more testimonies then. But uh, right now I want to start off with a scripture that my honey bunny found the other day uh, in the book of Job. I want, uh, I want you to turn with me. Now this she was up the other morning in the wee hours of the morning reading the Word of God and that's a dangerous thing to do. You know it? Get up in the middle of the night and read God's Word. It might change you. Well, let me tell you, it changed your Now then, <clears throat> I want you to turn. Now, I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. Now, this is uh, this New Living Translation. Uh, I like to read out of the NLT. It's such good reading, you know. But in Job 33 is where we're going. Job 33, and I'm going to start with verse 19. Job 33:19. Now this could not be any clearer than than you you just can't make it any clearer than this. Now the other night when Cheryl read this in this NLT, we got out the uh, we went back and sat up in the middle of the bed. Now well, this is now three or four o'clock in the morning, and uh, we get up in the middle of the bed after reading this, and I get out the King James, I get out the Amplified, we get out everything. Got, we're sitting there in the middle of the bed with Bible, Bibles all over the bed at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Bible study at our house. We are in a Bible study pretty regularly at our house. <laughs> so praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the Word. But I want you to listen to what it says in Job 33, starting verse 19. It says, God disciplines people with sickness and pain. <clears throat> That's awful, isn't it? God disciplines people with sickness and pain. I mean, you don't want to disobey the king, do you? You know, I mean, I've heard people tell me all my life, God doesn't put sickness and disease upon you. You know, you may have even heard me say it like that a time or two myself. But I'm going to tell you, when you start reading this book in its entirety, you're going to find out there's only one you're responsible to. And it's God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he knows what's going on. He says that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing it. You know, He is in control of the universe. So you really don't have to worry about the devil. There's only one you need to be concerned with, and that's God. You keep the king happy, and you're in good shape. You anger him, you're in trouble. Big trouble. So, you don't want to go there. You don't want to make God angry. You want to, He loves you. He's long suffering. He's patient. He's everything. But I have come to realize that He made a set of rules. Now, then, when I think about these set of rules that we're going to talk about here, and we're going to continue on here in the book of Job a whole lot more, I'll read several verses before we get through, that people don't understand that God is just like a good parent. Now, if you have a good parent, many places of Scripture says that our fathers discipline us on this earth. Well, now, if you've got a father that does not discipline you, the Word of God says that daddy does not love you. It says that the rod of correction will drive the evil far from the children. Now then, if you take a child, especially a boy... And you don't discipline him with a rod. He will grow up to be something you do not like. <clears throat> He'll just not... Anyway, I think about... Now, Dave and Eisha, they work for us in the ministry or with us in the ministry, I will say. And they've had their first son. He's 16 months old. And, of course, Dave got miraculously healed from a lifelong incurable disease at our ministry. I met him a few years ago and Dave had an incurable skin disease that he'd been to the finest doctors and they all tell him what he has is not curable. You cannot get well. You're going to have it all your life. His mother had had it. Many other people in his family line had had it. And when he came to me, I guaranteed him that if he'd do what God says, he would get well. He had a problem with that, believing that I could guarantee what God would do. But let me tell you, god guaranteed what he said in his word and then he says if i say something you must believe it with no doubt in your heart well if i read something he says and i turn around and say well i don't know what god will do here i didn't i didn't believe it and if i didn't believe it then god not going to do nothing for me because he turns to me and tells me that when i ask for something i must ask in faith nothing wavering he says if i waver he said that you're double-minded and unstable in all your ways. And that's in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. So in James 1, 6 and 7, when you come to the Lord and ask Him for anything, you must ask Him in faith, nothing wavering. When you waver, He says that person need not think they shall receive anything from the Lord because you're unstable in all your ways. And He says, I'm not a wishy-washy God. You know, He said, if I said it, it's sealed. It's sealed. It's gonna happen. And he said, i also no respect to a person, so I don't love I don't love the girls any more than I do the guys. I don't love my preachers any more than I do the non preachers. I treat everybody exactly the same. Well it's unfortunately a daddy usually doesn't do that to their children. Usually a daddy or a mother has favorites. You know, they'll have favorite children, they'll let one son get by with nearly murder and the other one, he does anything, he gets a switch. I don't know why that happens, but it happens, you know. But it should not be. And with God, that's not true. He does not do that. He disciplines us all exactly the same. So, when you take a child like David and Yasha's little boy from just a little bitty fellow when he got big enough to sit in a high chair, if he did anything like he'd throw his food on the floor, They first started out with a spoon, and they'd tap him on the hand with that spoon. Say, no, no, you don't throw your food on the floor. Well, it wasn't long that the spoon, they didn't like the spoon. So, you know, we were talking about a rod. I said, the Word of God says, the rod of correction. He didn't say a spoon, but he said, the rod of correction will drive the evil far from your children. So they got a little quarter-inch dowel, about uh, 14 inches long and they just keep it in the house, and every time he does any little thing, or if he throws a fit, Dave gently goes over gets the little rod and swats him on the leg and says, we don't do that. And, I mean, this little boy, I mean, in the ministry center out there, he, his limits is the door to the kitchen. He can't come into ministry center without approval. Now, the average boy that's 16 months old, you turn him loose in the kitchen, he's going to go anywhere he wants to go. But this little guy will run up to that doorway, and he'll stop, and he'll look at that doorway, and he'll say, whoops, this is my limit. I mean, he's thinking this, see? And he will not go beyond that unless mama or daddy tells him it's okay. You can come on the other. He'll stop right there. Why? Because every time he ran up and just went right through it, he would bring you back. He said, now right here, this is your limit, son. Whap. You can't go beyond this point right here. Only one or two little light legs, but it stung, you know. He didn't even cry. But he's learned. So he is the best disciplined little guy for 16 months old i ever seen. I mean, see, God's Word really works, doesn't it? But now then he's learned that that discipline, you know, he does not have to get that discipline if he's obedient, you know. Now, God told us all these principles in His Word, but we don't believe Him. <clears throat> now, the average person today that I've met, even those in the church, have virtually no knowledge of these principles we're going to talk about today. They don't believe it. They don't believe God will put sickness and disease upon you. He does not. If you disobey Him, they don't believe no way, form, or fashion that God will put sickness and disease upon you. I have seen places where it says and an evil spirit from the Lord will sent to torment Saul, and I've heard PhDs take hours explaining away that God didn't do that. And I said, Hey, He said it. He did it. No, that's not what He meant. I said, well, you know, if that's not what God meant, then why did He put that in the Word? Well, let me tell you, I've come to realize that if He put it in this book, it's exactly what He meant. Amen. And you don't have to have anybody. You don't have to have a preacher. You don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to have nobody explain away God's Word. All you got to do is read it and believe it. Amen. It's that simple. So, this says here, and if you read the King James or the Amplified or the New American Standard or anything else... In Job 33, verse 19, if you read it and ask God to reveal it to you, you'll see that God chastens His people upon their bed. Well, if He chastens them, it says exactly the same thing. God disciplines people with sickness and pain. Sickness and pain with ceaseless aching in their bones. I mean, this is written in the book, isn't it? Now then he says, they lose their appetite and do not care for even the most delicious food. You ever seen anybody get sick and they don't even I mean, you could bring in the best, most beautiful plate of food and they don't even want it. I mean, you're not even, I mean, you have no hunger whatsoever. I mean, you know, I'm not even hungry right now. Of course, I haven't had hardly anything to eat or drink today. But if you were to bring in, I mean, you know, a big old warm... You know, pecan pie with two dips of vanilla ice cream on top. I'd have trouble turning that down. Because I hadn't had nothing to eat, you know. I know that wouldn't really be that good for me. But, you know, it makes my mouth water just thinking about that, huh? You see, the the way things happen, if you are sick and afflicted, even the most delicious foods, you have no desire for them. Now, I don't want to be that kind of sick, do you? No, I don't want to be that kind of sick. Then it says, they waste away to skin and bones. Have you ever seen anybody like that? I have. I've ministered to a lot of people that used to be, you know, normal-sized people, looked like that, big bones and big legs and big arms and everything. And then you go over there, and they're little bitty legs, little bitty arms, you know, skin's wasted away, and Awful. You know, there's all kinds of diseases, but cancer is one of the worst ones that do that to people. Now, you know, but let's keep reading here. Then it says, they are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. Isn't that awful? This is written in the book. In other words, if you get off into a discipline problem with God... If you need discipline, if you've been disobedient to His Word, if you've not done what the King tells you to do, these are the things that can and will come upon people. I mean, is there anybody in the church sick? Oh, yeah, lots of them. Why? They're not supposed to be. Our King bore our sickness, and He removed our disease. Well, as I learned these principles and began to teach these principles over the years, I have seen... Now, into the hundreds of miracles. Now, a miracle healing is when God heals somebody instantly right when you touch them. And that's an awesome thing to see God do, to heal somebody instantly. And, but I've seen that many, many times. But the healings are over a period of time. And I've seen God heal people now, even with incurable disease like Dave, thousands of times. I mean, it's not just a coincidence. You know, in the last 20 years, thousands of healings have taken place through this little ministry that God has given us. But Dave was one of the most awesome ones that I've ever seen. His took over 18 months. And I mean, it's so well documented because on that sickness, is satanic oppression back there, especially the DVD, you can see all the pictures. When he done the testimony here, uh, we put it on uh, video, and you can see all of his situations, uh, how he stood. Just like I did with my daughter, my granddaughter, Caitlin, whenever she was at death's door. I mean, head, you know, busted open in five places and brain stem severed and eyes jerked out of her brain. The face crushed and, you know, lungs crushed and right knee crushed and left leg broken in two places. And the finest doctors in the world said, it's over. You know, you've been there, had not you, brother? Yep, You've been there with your son, you know, when they say he's a vegetable, he ain't going to make it. You know, we've both been there, haven't we? We know exactly what it is to have a loved one, a child or a grandchild that's been through some kind of trauma, and the doctors say, they ain't going to make it. You might as well just give up. It's over. This one's not going to get well. But, you know, if you believe God's Word and you're walking in obedience to His Word, that's not true. The doctors don't know. The doctors are out there. Most of the doctors, it's unfortunate that most of the people in the church don't know much about God. You know, we really don't. You know, when I ask you, somebody says, I say, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Do you go to church? Well, every time I have time. When I can. Oh, so you're not going to church very much? Well, do you know God? Oh, yeah, I know God. I know God well. I said, good. Quote me your favorite 50 verses. (laughs) My favorite 50 verses? Well, how about just quoting me one verse? Well, they got to think. Do you know God? You don't have a clue who He is. You don't have a clue. If you don't know the Word, you don't know God. You can't know God outside of the Word, because He and the Word are one. And so if you know the Word, you know God. You know, if you don't know the Word, you don't know God. You may know about Him, but you don't know Him. And sometimes with all the thousands of hours I've spent in the Word, sometimes I think, gee, Lord, I don't know nothing about you. You're beyond my wildest dreams, how you can do things. And He is beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, You know, we cannot comprehend a being that can speak and this cosmos come into being. I mean... You and I, I mean, here I am, I'm an engineer by trade, or used to be active in the engineering world, built, buildings, designed equipment, all kinds of stuff all over the world. But I'm just like Job, if God would have said, Job, when I got ready to hang the foundations of the world, where were you? Did I have to ask you how to put them up there? Ooh, I could have backed off and said, God, if I had been here, if you would asked me, I wouldn't have had a clue how to put them up there, that's for sure. I mean, if I got something solid to work on... Although this earth that we're on, although it appears to be solid, it's constantly moving. Have any of you ever ever take a little uh, telescope, uh, a powerful one, and try to shoot it at the moon? You know, so, you know, the first time I did that, I had a great big old telescope. I forget what power it was, but pretty big. I, you know, it was about that long and about that big around. And I set it up on this little stand out there, and I got it all tweaked in on the moon. I thought, wow, look at that. That's beautiful. Ran into the house to get the kids. I said, come out here and look at the moon. And I come out there and we looked in there. Hey, Daddy, ain't nothing in there. I said, it's in there. <laughs> but it wasn't in there. It was gone. <laughs> everything's moving. And you don't realize everything's moving. And so when you get a hold of the fact that, you know, we're not just moving. I mean, but we're moving 1,003 miles an hour. And that's just the rotation of the earth. And then the forward velocity of the earth to stay in orbit at the proper gravitational pull from the sun, we're only going almost 70,000 miles an hour forward. You know, that's kind of beyond me, Paul. And I I couldn't have put that... Well, if it had been me, I'd have said, Okay, God, let's see, Uh, 70,000 miles an hour sounds awful fast. Why don't we slow it down to about maybe 500? That sounds awful fast. He said, Son, at 500 miles an hour, the, the magnetic pole of the sun would just suck you right in, and you'd burn up. I said, well, I've how about, had how about a couple of thousand. And he said, no, you've got to be nearly 70,000. Hey, this is beyond me. You know, I couldn't do this. Can you? No. But this is the God that we know. This is the God that we serve. He made all this, and then this magnificent thing that you live in, he built it and designed it. And we can see, we can hear, we can talk, we can feel all the things that we can do. The five physical senses that you and I are very familiar with, but there's another one we're not very familiar with, and it's called faith. When you step over into the world of faith, that's where God shows up. That's where He works. He works very little in this world of five physical senses. But when you step over into the world of faith, when you're obedient to do what he says, you can see the king of the universe do some of the most awesome things that's beyond your wildest dreams. Can't you, brother? And you got one of those miracles sitting beside you today. That Three months ago, Eddie was not going to make it. Uh, He was a vegetable. He was going to be a vegetable forever. But that family has faith. And to now, because of that faith, Here he is, able to walk and talk and everything, and before it's all over, he'll be running and playing again, just like he was before the accident. But it says, after it says there that you are at death's door and the angels of death wait for you, then look what it says. But if. Now, sometimes I really like it when God says, but if, but sometimes I don't like it because there's a lot of these ifs in the Word, but this one I like. But if a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for a person, that's unfortunate there's not many of those. You know that? We need a lot of those. We need a lot of special messengers, men or women that have spent time with God that they have been sent forth to intercede for those that need to be interceded for. Now then, if you've got somebody, in fact, I think about the number of people that I've heard that come here and say, I've been going to church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I've been prayed for dozens of times, hundreds of times, and nothing's ever happened. I say, well... Number one, you didn't repent of your sin that brought the sickness to you. You've got to repent. If you don't repent, you can get nothing from God. In fact, this young man over there just said yes. Did you know he's a truck driver? This young man sitting right over here. And he said that I had trouble getting my prayers answered. And he said I started listening to Thurman's CDs and DVDs. And he said on one of them that I got to obey the laws of the land. And he said, I'm a truck driver. No truck driver drives a speed limit. I mean, give me a break. They're trying to make a living, you know. They're getting over the road. And who wants to wear a seat belt all day long sitting in a truck seat? You know, you want to be comfortable. But the law says you must wear your seat belt, and the law says you must obey the speed laws. But he couldn't get his prayers answered. So he repented, asked God to forgive him. And he started driving the speed limit and wearing his seatbelt. And now then he said, God answers almost every prayer he asked him for. Totally changed his life. Isn't that amazing? That if you break the laws of the land, what God say. the law is not for the person that obeys the law. But the law is for those that disobey the law. I mean, you can get out there on a highway and if the speed limit's 60, you can drive 60 all day long. You don't have to be concerned when a police officer pulls up beside you. I mean, if you're driving 60 and the speed limit's 60, and he drives up beside you, look over and wave at him. You know? No problem. He waved back at you. You know? But if you're driving along there 80 and he pulls up beside you, usually he'll pull up behind you and turn all in little flashing lights. And when that happens, your heart just stops. Basically, when you look down and see that you're doing 80 and you're in a 60 mile an hour zone, you know you're in trouble, don't you? Yeah, yep, yeah, he's going to give you a ticket. You know that. You know that. And you just start praying, oh, God, please be merciful to me. <laughs> if you didn't pray before, you do then. See, now, unfortunately, if you'd have prayed before you left and you'd obey the law, you wouldn't have to be praying now. So you'd have been okay. But we break God's laws. So many ways, but he told us to obey. Now, when we disobey, these kind of things happen to us, and this pain and this sickness comes up upon us. How many of you have known, just like a woman, the other day I was talking to a woman. She said, I need you to pray for my marriage. And I said, well, what's wrong? She said, my husband, he won't go to church with me. I said, well, I said, how long have you been married to him? She said, 20 years. I said, well, were you a Christian when you married him? She said, oh, yes, yes, I was a Christian. I said, was he a Christian? She said, no, but I thought I could change him. In fact, she said, before we started to get married, I heard God tell me, don't marry him. He's the wrong one. And she said, I married him anyway. And she said, I have technically lived in minor hell on this earth for the last 20 years. I said, now see, God tried His best to warn you, and you didn't listen. But she said, I thought I could change Him. I said, God tells you in His Word, you are not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I mean, so, but see, God went beyond that and told her, she said, I heard Him, and my spirit tell me He's the wrong one. But she said, I married him anyway. Now then, when you're disobedient, when God speaks to you out of the word, and you're disobedient, are you going to have to suffer the consequences? Unfortunately, you're going to have to suffer the consequences. Because he's no respecter of persons. If you break his law, you're going to have to pay the consequence. Now then, today, today there's so many people that are in the church, that say they're Christians, that are breaking God's rules. And we're going to go over those rules in a little while. I'm going to show you what they are, and I am sure you'll see in some of those rules where you're breaking them. And that's why we have sickness and disease, and that's why our children have sickness and disease. And I'm going to show you why. But now then, let's go back to Job 33. And it said there in verse 23, "...but if a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for a person, to declare that he is upright." In other words, whenever you repent of sins, and once you get right with God, once you have repented of your sins, are you now upright before God? Absolutely. Anybody can become upright before God. That's the good part about Jesus. (laughs) aren't we grateful for that brother aren't we grateful because if God wasn't there to forgive us when we sinned there would none of us be here today we would all be dead probably but I know I've sinned far too many times in my life I've tried to live a good godly life but still I've made made some mistakes in my life and I, I know and I'm trying I'm trying harder than I ever have in my life right now especially in the last few years. I'm trying. I want to walk holy and perfect and upright before God. You know, I don't want to give the devil legal right to me or my wife under no conditions or to the ministry or nothing. I want to walk upright before God. I want to please the King. And that should be the desire of every Christian today. So he says that, and the next verse says that God will be gracious... After we've declared that he is upright, it says, then God will be gracious and say, set him free. Wow, that's good news, isn't it? Set him free. Then he says, do not make him die. Now, God's saying this. God will be gracious and say, set him free. Do not make him die, for I have found a ransom for his life. Now, who is that ransom today? It's our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We have this ransom. He has paid the price. Then, his body will become as healthy as a child's. Ooh, does that sound good? I mean, most, if you got a little child, that's unfortunate. Now, unfortunately, I have seen some little children that have had these same diseases. You know how many children there are in the hospitals and just in the Dallas Metroplex that have cancer or something today? Many of them. I mean, you cannot go. I went down to uh, Dallas, the Dallas Medical Center the other day, and I walked through that hospital, and my heart broke. I mean, I saw children in there with every kind of deformity, limbs missing in wheelchairs. I thought, oh, God, oh, Lord. Help me to teach your truth, because if people only knew what I knew from this book, there would be none of these children in this hospital. None of them would be here. These children are not here for their sins. They're here because of a curse of their parents. You know, but you get people out here all the time. I mean, you know, some guy meets some girl on the street. Hey, baby, how would you like to go to bed with me? I mean, you hear God say that right out on the street. We have no morals. We have no ethics. I mean, the, the wickedness, you see it on television. I mean, you could, I mean, I hardly ever turn the television set on. But once in a while, when we are in a hotel, I will turn it on to try to find CNN so I can see a little bit about what's going on in Israel or something. I am kind of interested in that. And when you flip from one channel to another looking for CNN, there is no telling what you may find or cross over on that television set. I mean, just in a, in a blink, you can see some of the most wicked, foul things. And think, somebody's looking at that stuff all the time. Some people are feeding that trash into their heart on a regular basis. And then you want to know why that guys will make those kind of statements. I mean, it's awful. You want to know why that the church, this is what gets me when I talk to a woman that's single, and she said, I'm looking for a husband. But she said, I can't even find a good man in the church. Can't even find a good one in the church. Isn't that awful? That's awful, you know. It, it's it's amazing. Then it says, after, here he says, after God will receive him with joy. When, uh, first it says, Then his body will become as healthy as a child's, firm and youthful again. Now, after, after your body is eat up or destroyed or whatever it is, or you become a vegetable or whatever, if you find this Jesus, you've repented of all your sins, and then people of faith pray for you and stay in there and don't doubt and stand in faith and pray, God says he will, you will be restored. Your body will become as healthy as a child's. It will be firm and youthful again. Now, I don't want to go there, though, do you? I want my body to just stay firm and youthful all the time. You know, I don't want to have to be healed. Do you? No, I have learned what you have to do to not have to be healed. And it's obedience, isn't it, Paul? In other words, you don't get to switch across your backside when you obey, do you, Thought? Yes, no, okay. He's learned that well, too. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But who would ever dream that a man that's walking in obedience to God's Word with everything he thinks he can, and the only thing he's doing wrong is driving too fast and not wearing a seatbelt, that would prevent God from answering your prayer? Well, he said disobedience, thought. God told him to obey the laws of the land. All of the laws of the land. <laughs> you got that too, didn't you? All. Obey all, not part of them. So when you obey all of the laws of the land, God will hear and He will answer your prayer. But you must believe Him and you must do what He says. It says, When he prays to God, he will be accepted and God will receive him with joy and restore him to good standing. I like this, don't you? He will declare to his friends, I sinned, but it was not worth it. (laughs) Isn't that awful? I sinned, but it was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with light. Yes, God often does these things for people. He rescues them. From the grave so they may live in the light of the living. Mark this well. Mark it well. Job, listen to me. See, mark this well. Thurman, Bob, John, Jack, Susie, listen well. God's talking to you. If it's written in His Word, who's He talking to? You. Me. Every one of us. He is no respecter of persons. He don't care how old, how young, you know, how poor, how rich, nothing. Nothing means anything to God but obedience. That's all He wants is obedience. And if you're obedient, then you don't have to go through what we just read. You don't have to go through there. Now then, let's turn back to some of the rules. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 20, and let's go over a few of the rules that the Lord tells us we're supposed to walk in. Now, I'm going to tell you the number one rule is the one that we, the church, break the most. The number one. And I have seen more people with cancer. This rule, number one. And then the other thing that God tells us that He really doesn't like at all, and that's when we get into a condition of unforgiveness towards someone for anything. I don't care how tiny it is. If you go to unforgiveness... Unforgiveness seems to be one of the most critical sins in the Word of God, especially for the Christian. When you get a hold of this, now this is something I want to tell you before we go any further, that God says in His Word that if you get into unforgiveness against anybody for anything, He will send a tormenting spirit to torment you. Not only you, but your spouse and your children, and he will also attack your bank account. Now, a lot of people don't believe that, but I guess what we need to do before we go to the beginning of these commandments, we need to go to Matthew chapter 18, and we need to discuss this one, because I see more people sick and afflicted because of this. I just I stand amazed at the people in the church that are just like I was, that don't know matthew eighteen twenty one through thirty five let's talk about matthew eighteen twenty one through thirty five let's see what the lord tells us here because this how many christians, how many of you people that are christians and i trust all of you here today are a christian but how many of you have heard that a christian cannot have a demon living in their body how many you've heard that i've heard that too and in fact uh, most I was a long time in the church before I ever had enough knowledge even ask the question. You know, can I have a demon? Because I never heard demons talked about. I was raised up in a Baptist church, and we just hardly never talk about demons. Uh, Don't think we believe in them. I certainly didn't. You know, demons were something that we read about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and, you know, Jesus cast out demons and healed the sick and done all those things, but... Even in the book of Acts, they cast out a few demons in there, but I assumed that the apostles and Jesus put them all back in the pit of hell, and there were no more demons, I guess. But I found out I was wrong, <laughs> very wrong. Those little guys are still out here. But uh, let's, let's go find out a little bit about them and how they get legal right to us and what causes them to come to us and torment us. I see some people say, man, I had to rebuke the devil all day today. The devil was after me all day. The devil made me do it. You heard people say that? Sure, I've heard people say that too. And the thing about it is, if you walk in obedience to God's Word, you don't have to rebuke the devil because he's not there. He's not going to come around very regular and torment you. Only once in a great while will the devil come by to put you to the test. But when you get into disobedience, he's going to be there regularly. Now then, let's see what Matthew chapter eighteen, let's start with verse twenty one. It says, Then there came to him, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, he, Peter, thought he was on safe ground. You know, most people say, Well, you know, if that guy sins against me, I'm going to forgive you this time, but don't you ever do it again. Because I ain't going to forgive you if you do it twice. So that's kind of the way we are, right, Steve? Yeah. I mean, you're the average Christian. Okay. So you do something against your wife. You know, she gets upset with you. She says, okay, honey, you forgive me? Okay, I'll forgive you. Okay. So six months goes and comes and you do it again. And you say, honey, you forgive me? She said, no. Six months ago when you did it, I forgive you. But I ain't forgiving you this time. Well, let me tell you, if she still remembers the date and the hour you did it six months ago, she didn't forgive you that time either. (laughs) Or vice versa, it works both ways. See, it says that love remembers no wrongs. So when somebody does you wrong, you immediately forgive them. And if they do it again next week, you've already forgotten it. You don't even know it, see. And so they do it again. Somebody said, well, I can't understand how you can keep forgiving them. I said, hey, love remembers no wrongs. You know, if I start remembering and I start keeping records, okay, he did this to me last Thursday. Okay, and then next Tuesday he does it again. Click, and I got two there. And I said, if he does it one more time, I'm punching him out. <laughs> You've heard people talk like that, haven't you? Sure. Sure. You know, So that's not the God kind of love. If you want to do that, you can go ahead and do that. But you can be sick too. And you won't have any idea this is what's making you sick. This is what's making your life fall apart. This is why your car's breaking down. This is why your wife is turned against you. This is why your children are going wrong. This is why your bank account's going down to nothing. And nothing you do is working because you're in unforgiveness. Now then, he says here, when Peter says, How many times should I forgive him? Seven times? The Lord says, No. He said, Seventy times seven. I mean, that's an endless number of times. Can you imagine somebody offending you 490 times in one day, and you forgive them just as easy the 490 times as you did the first time? It'd take a real person to do that, wouldn't it? I mean, it takes a real man or woman of God. But the Lord says, this is why it's important. Now, I guess I must say there uh, that I didn't switch off my telephone either, so I'm glad it was his ring instead of mine. But now then, I have turned mine off, <laughs> so if you have one, uh, please turn it off so we don't have another interruption. But anyway, he says here, Jesus told him, I assure you, even if... Wait a minute, I, my page blew over, I started... Now Jesus replied, 70 times 7. For this reason, for this reason, what reason? That you forgive them nine, 490 times or 70 times 7. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought to him who owed him millions and millions of dollars. Now then, in the King James, it says 10,000 talents. Now then, in some of the translations to today's money, they say that's somewhere around $4 billion. Now that's a pretty big debt. $4 billion? Wow. What would you do, young lady, if you owed somebody $4 million, much less $4 billion, huh? That's a huh? That's a big debt, isn't it? See, so what the Lord's doing here, He's showing us that this four billion or this ten thousand talents, or the millions and millions, some of the translation says, is that's what we owe Him for our sins. That is what we owe the King. No, but we can't pay it. There's no way you and I can pay for the sins we've committed on this earth. But it said He couldn't pay, so the King ordered that He, His wife his children, and everything that he had be sold to pay the debt. What was going to have to be sold? The man, his wife, his children, his assets. In other words, his cars, his home, his boat. Everything he had was going to become legal property because of his debt. So everybody's going to have to pay the consequences. Somebody said, well, if he owed the debt, it's not fair. Well, if you go back, I read this book lots of ways and I see lots of places where it doesn't appear to be fair. Because when you go back in the days of Moses, just a few chapters back from where we were reading there a while ago, in the book of Numbers, it talks about an event when a man came against God's anointing and when Korah came against God's anointing, and he said, God speaks to us too. We need to be running this show and not you. Moses humbled himself and fell on his face, and he said, tomorrow come and we'll ask God who's supposed to be running this thing. And so he didn't get upset with nobody. So the next day, all those preachers, 250 of them, came out there with their incense burners, and they did all this stuff before God, and they said, you know, God speaks to us too. And Moses said, that's okay, maybe He does. But we're going, God has called me, I know, to be the leader of these people and to bring you out of Egypt. So now then, he said, we'll ask God. And he said, God showed up over the temple and in a glory cloud, and he was so angry with him. He said, Moses, you and Aaron, get out of the way. I'm going to immediately destroy this whole bunch. He was a little upset. He said, God, well, wait, 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 God, wait a minute. Don't kill them all. He said, let me give them a chance to let anybody that wants to go with us to get over here. And so a bunch of them moved over there. But Korah and his bunch stayed over there. And then Moses said, well, now if Korah and his group is right and God's calling him to be the leader, then he'll die a natural death. But he said, if that's not true and he's called me to lead these people, then he said the ground is going to open up and swallow them right in front of your eyes. And Moses hadn't even got through saying that. And all of a sudden, the ground opened, the fires of hell come up, and Kara and his wife and his children and his tents and all of his friends that stayed over there, and every one of them fell into the pit of hell screaming, and then the ground closed right back over the top of them. And then it says the 250 preachers, he sent fire to consume them, standing right out in front of everybody, he killed all 250 of them priests. Now then, God backed up and said, now I've called Moses to do this. Any questions? <laughs> Well, you know what happened the next day? We're hard learners. The very next day, the Word of God, after seeing this great and awesome thing, the very next day, the people came against Moses again and said, You killed all them people yesterday. Who killed all them people yesterday? God did. Was He angry at them? Yes, Yes, because of sin. He killed them. The Word says He did. And it says that when they showed up and began to accuse Moses again, the glory cloud showed up again, and Moses and God said, Moses, this is it. I've had it. Back off. I'm going to immediately kill them all. And he said, no, Lord, please. You promised to bring these people out bring them to the promised land. So here is a man of God that's right in the presence of God, and all these people's sins, and him and Aaron begin to move through the people interceding. Please, God, don't destroy them. Lord, this is an atonement. We're presenting an atonement for the people for their sins. And finally, God stopped the death angel. And it says 14,700 people lay dead on the ground. You want to make God angry? Do you want to make Him mad? I don't. Well, if you obey Him, you don't make Him mad, do you, brother? Today, as His children... If we walk in obedience to His Word, He pours out His blessings upon us and He heals us. I mean, I've seen Him when I've learned this principle that when we break these rules, just like this one now under the New Covenant, this one of unforgiveness. Now, many people in the church that I've met have unforgiveness. But when you get a hold of this, if you got it, you'll get rid of it. And this is one this problem right here in Matthew 18 and the one we're going to read about in Exodus 20, these two commandments is the two that I've noticed that nearly every time which you have cancer, you've broken one of these commandments. Nearly every time. So, it says in this one here in Matthew 18, talking about borrowing this money, and they're going to pay this back, and he owed him millions. He said he couldn't pay, so the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. But it says the man fell down before the king and begged him. Now, in the King James Bible, he said, the man fell down before him and worshipped him. If you really want to get something from God, when you fall on your face and begin to worship him, you get his attention. He loves to be worshipped. Somebody said, I ain't worshipping nobody. Okay, go ahead and die then if you want to. It's your choice. But if you want to humble yourself and fall on your knees before the king and tell him how sorry you are for your sins and you worship him, you will move the hand of the king. He loves to be worshipped. He is worthy to be worshipped. So when we fall and worship him, I mean, I have no problem. No problem falling on my knees any time when I go to pray for somebody and humble myself before the king because I know that if he don't show up, there ain't nothing going to happen. Amen. Ain't nothing going to happen. But if he shows up, nothing's impossible. Amen. Nothing's impossible. Well, you've got to please him. You've got to be obedient. Then he says, then he says, after he sat and begged him, it says, and he pleaded with me, and and so he, I says, be patient. And, oh, sir, he said, be patient with me, and I will pay you all. Then the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Now, all he had to do was fall and worship and plead with the Lord, Lord, be merciful to me. In other words, actually, he was just saying, Lord, be patient with me, and I'll pay you the debt. He must have been a man of great means, to, first of all, to get in debt that deep, and then even to think that he might make enough money to pay this thing back. I mean, those are numbers so big, I can't even think like that. But, I mean, this man obviously had great wealth. He had to have great wealth to get into the billions to get in debt that deep. You know, but I think about here a while back, I was reading about something in Manhattan about a man that was renovating, I forget, how many blocks of downtown New York. And they told how many billions of dollars that cost. I thought, you know, there's some people in this world living in a place, I mean, I, if I were to go to borrow $10,000, you know, I'd think, wow, $10,000. But this guy's borrowing billions of dollars to rebuild downtown Manhattan. I mean, you know, he probably goes out to dinner with friends and spends 10000 in an evening. You know? Isn't that amazing? But I'm not there. I have never lived there. But it says here, but he released him and forgave him the debt. It says, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Now, this is a little different debt, isn't it? The first one owed millions and millions and millions and millions. And this other guy only owed this guy a few thousand dollars. He said he grabbed him by the throat. This is a pretty wicked guy, isn't it? He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Have we seen this scene just a little while ago? Yeah, this was the other guy. And he didn't. Then he says, be patient and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and jailed until the debt could be paid in full. Gee, what a nice guy. What a nice guy. I mean, he he just got released millions. And now somebody owes him a handful of dollars and he's going to throw him in jail. What a lovely guy. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him what had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. Now, would you like to be called an evil servant? No, especially not by God. You might, want, you might call me evil. I don't do, do much for But if God calls me evil, then, I, then I'm in trouble. And I don't want to be called evil by the king. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Now, you know, this seemed to me like I read over in the book of James where the king says, if you do not show mercy... You will not be shown mercy. So, if somebody comes to you and needs mercy, and you say, Nope, I ain't giving you no more time, that's it, forget it, you either pay that debt or it's over. Well, then what happens a few weeks or a few months later when something happens and everything falls apart, and the note you got at the bank, you've got your house up for collateral and everything else, and something didn't go just right, and you go down and say, Banker, I'm sorry. But things have happened beyond my control now. I'm not going to be able to make this next payment. Would you please give me another six months? He says, no. We're going to confiscate your home and everything you have. No, please. And he begs and pleads. But he forgot about the guy just a while back. that owed him a little debt that he confiscated something he had when he wouldn't show him mercy. The king said, if you don't show mercy, neither shall mercy be given to you. Well, see, we read this book, but we don't believe these things. So, then he says, then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. Now, then the King James Bible said he turned him over to the torturers, the tormentors. Who do you think the torturers or the tormentors are? Demon. Devil and his demons. That's exactly right. How would you like for God to turn you over to the devil? <laughs> Woo! I, I wouldn't want that beast on my tail if God sent the devil and says, devil. Go over there and torment that man for me. They, no, I don't care who, what, how Pentecostal we are nothing else. We can't drive that devil away, can we? If that devil's got legal right to me and you, we are in big trouble. Especially if God sent him. Look what he says there. In verse 35, Peter, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. Is that written in God's Word? It's pretty hard to miss that. I mean, I read that over and over and over and over. And I thought, oh, God, this can't be true. You can't mean what you said here. But I read it. Well, then one day I was called by a Baptist preacher. He said, I mean, I've got a woman that's got a major problem. And said, I believe her problem is spiritual. Now, he knew a little bit about the Word of God. And he said... Uh, I, I can't seem to get this woman free. She's already had a hysterectomy, but she's still having back troubles. He said the had done this full hysterectomy and said it didn't correct the problem. Now, I'm going to tell you that almost every woman that's ever had a hysterectomy, technically speaking, if she hadn't a sin, she wouldn't have had to have it. You know, I mean, that's and most women have hysterectomies today. If you repent of your sins and get right with God, He'll heal you and you won't have to have that hysterectomy. But the doctors are out there to give you a hysterectomy. That's just the way they are. You know, they think it will solve your problem. Well, this woman, they thought that due to her female problems, that they've done a hysterectomy on her, it eliminate her back problems. So they done that, and it didn't. She's still got these pains and cramps and all this stuff. And so this Baptist preacher said, Would you come down this afternoon after church and meet with me and this family? I said, Okay. So I drove down there. I met him at 2 o'clock in Fort Worth and went over to this house. When I went over to this house, when I walked in the door, uh, I met the family, the man, the four boys, and uh, a couple more people, uh, brother-in-law, sister, and so forth. And I said, well, where's the woman? And they said, well, she's back in the bedroom. She will go get her. I said, okay. So they went back there to get her, and they came back in about five minutes, and they said, she don't want to see you. And I said, well, but I came here to minister to this woman So I said, let's pray. So I took authority over the spirits and prayed a prayer of faith and I said, now go get her. And they went back there and they got her and when they brought her out, she came through the archway with her husband on one arm and her sister on the other and she's got her head down at the floor like this with her big old heavy black hair hanging down toward the floor and she starts screaming, I hate you! I don't want you in my house! I mean, I'll hurt you! Now the average Christian Baptist Christian deacon would have been insulted and he would have just said, okay, I'm sorry I came and he would have left. But I'm not a normal Baptist deacon. So, by a long shot. So, praise God. I went in and I said, come over here and set her down right here in this chair. So, they set her down in that chair and I knelt down on my knees one on, kind of like this, you know. Bit one knee and I knelt down in front of her and I went to move her hair so I could see her face. I said, ma'am, I need to talk to you. And then she slapped me bam you know she said don't you touch me i mean i'm gonna hurt you i said no ma'am what you need is jesus no no i don't want nothing to do with him i thought what is i mean i mean i'm experiencing something i know a little bit what i'm doing but this other baptist preacher standing over there watching this whole thing and as and of course he's not saying a word he's just sitting there watching and all of a sudden i become very forceful i said you foul demon of anger I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. He said, all of a sudden, this woman's voice totally changed. A man's voice, he said, no, I am not coming out. I have legal right to be here. I said, what? A demon? Got li-? I, said, this, I said, God, you said these guys are liars. This guy's a liar. You know, I mean, the devil never tells the truth. He couldn't possibly have legal right to be in this woman. And... So I said, "God, what's the deal? What is? I tried to cast that devil out. I mean, he was not coming out. he was just talking to me, and she was just getting wilder and wickeder. I said, "God, I've got to have some help, Lord. What is wrong with this situation?" He said, "I sent the demon to her." I said, "Wait a minute, God, I know I, I know I had to misunderstand you. You sent this demon to this woman." He said, yes, because of her unforgiveness. I thought back to this. I said, God, this really meant what it said. I said, oh, Lord. I said, now. I said, now. I said, ma'am. this. I said, you've got to forgive. I said, who do, you, who do you hate? And she wouldn't say anything. I looked at her husband. I said, you know who she hates? He said, oh, yeah, that's real easy. I said, it was her first husband. Said, you see that second boy right there? I said, yes. Yeah. And when he was born, he run off, and left her in a hospital, and he just left her holding the bag. He didn't pay those bills. He wouldn't help her. And said, she's hated him with a passion ever since. I said, that's what's wrong. She's in unforgiveness. And God has sent the tortures or the tormenting spirits to torment her. And that's what's causing her pain and her suffering. I said, ma'am, you've got to forgive this guy. She says, no, I'll never forgive him. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command the demon to get his hands off of you and to stop blinding your mind to the truth. I said, now, ma'am, in the name of Jesus, I command you to speak. I forgive my ex-husband from my heart. And I drug that out of her word by word. When I finally got her to repent, and she said, I forgive so-and-so from my heart. When she finally got that out, I said, now you devil of hell. She has repented of her sin, and you have no more legal right to be there. I said, you foul, tormenting spirit, out in the name of Jesus. Bam, he left that quick. I mean, he never argued with me. He just left. She swung her head up, and her eyes cleared. I said, ma'am, what you need is Jesus. Yes, yes, I want to be saved. I thought, wow, when God said in His Word in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, if there's any loss, they're lost because the God of this world has blinded her man, I said, that devil was in her blinding her mind. She couldn't get saved. Once I kicked him out, then it says when that devil's gone, then they'll receive the glorious gospel of Christ. And that's exactly what she did. I got this woman saved. I led her into a prayer of repentance and a prayer of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. She accepted the Lord, and then I began to talk to her and pray with her and everything. And all of a sudden, this woman, when she got saved, I said, Let Lord fill her with that spirit of love, joy, and peace. And all of a sudden, this woman lunged. And when she did, I thought, Whoa! So I jumped up. I didn't know what was fixing to happen. You know, you never know. And so I jumped up, and when I did, she grabbed me around the neck and began to kiss me on the cheek and said, You've got to pray for my sons. You've got to pray for my husband. I thought, What a difference! I mean, here this woman a few minutes ago was screaming at me saying, I hate you, i mean, I'll hurt you. And now then she's loving all over me, kissing on my cheek, wanting me to pray for her sons and everything else. And so I left that day and I walked out on the way out to the car. That Baptist preacher said, Thurman, I'd give anything in the world, I've had a video camera today, to video that. He said, that's the most awesome thing I ever saw in my life. He said, I've never experienced anything like that. Well, the next day we called The father, to find out what happened, he said, right after y'all left, my wife said, you know, I'd like to go shopping. He said she hadn't been out of the house in months. Of course, her pain went away. Her back pain went away. She's back to normal. Everything. He said, we went shopping. And said, when we got home, all four boys got me off to the side and said, Daddy, this is not our mother. (laughs) said, our mama has never been this loving and kind. Never. <laughs> now see, when did that tormenting spirit come into her life? When the boys were little bit... That second one was a baby. When she got into unforgiveness, that tormenting spirit had been in her life through all of that time. And that tormenting spirit was running her life, and she was living with that beast in control, with all those pains and cramps, and she was in misery... But now then, once she forgave that husband, I was able to drive out that demon. And the woman was got healed. And now then the love of God's in her. And she is so changed that her own children don't even recognize her as mother. Glory, what happens when you obey God's Word? Hey, when you obey His Word, He said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly, didn't He? Yes. Isn't that where we want to walk? Yes. In the abundant life. Well, you have to obey the word to walk in abundant life. If you don't obey the word, you can't walk in that abundant life. Now, how many Christians have you ever known, or maybe yourself, you've had an unforgiveness towards somebody for something? Maybe it was just a little one. But see, God said in his word here, think about this. Who would ever dream that you could get in unforgiveness and say you're a woman? And you get into unforgiveness towards some of your relatives and your husband. He's a deacon of a Baptist church and a Sunday school teacher, and he comes down with cancer. He's a wonderful, loving guy. This happened to me ten years ago. A a man. The man was in his late 60s. He had had cancer, and he was dying. And his son came to me, and he said, "Derman." My daddy's extremely sick with cancer. They just burned a hole in his colon with radiation. They sent him home to die. The doctor said in a week or so, he'll be dead. He said, I know you know a lot of things about healing. Would you minister to my dad? I said, well, first of all, let me just ask you some questions. I said, tell me about your dad. Is he kind? Is he loving? Or is he mean? Oh, he's the best man I ever knew. He said, he's kind, loving. I said, does he serve God? Oh, man, he's a deacon in a Baptist church. He loves God. He teaches a Sunday school class. He loves everybody. I said, okay. Uh, I said, would you think he'd hold an unforgiveness towards someone? He said, never. Not Daddy. I said, well, okay. I said, how about Mama? He said, Mama's okay. It's not anything wrong with Mama. I said, but how about Mama? He said, well, now Mama's a whole different story. He said, Mama talks evil about several of our kinfolks. I mean, she's really got some grudges. Some of them she won't even go see. And I said, there's your problem. He said, now wait a minute, Thurman. Mama's not sick. I said, but when a man and a woman, which are two, get married, they become one. They're one unit now. And the sins of either one of them, just like this says right here, when this man in Matthew 18 got into unforgiveness, when this man got into unforgiveness, who had to pay the price? Him, his wife, and who? Children and properties, everything he owned, became legal right of the torture. Isn't that awesome? Is it worth it? I think not. But anyway, these people, Christians, Baptist Christians, didn't know these principles. So here she was holding this grudge against all these relatives, and here he is sick for the last several years. They spent all of their insurance money, all of it. They ain't got no money left, and they're in debt. They ain't never going to get out of debt. When the devil gets legal right to you, that's what he'll do to you. He had legal right to them, financially, physically, every way, because of her sin. When I told this brother of mine, he was a brother in Christ, and it was their son, this, he said, I've never seen this in the Word. I said, well, it's a revelation God has given to me. I said, it's in the Word, it's clear, but I said, what you need to do is you need to go get mother to forgive all those people and get right with God and those people. I said, now, don't go over there and tell Mama that Daddy's sick because of her sin. Because I said, she's not going to believe that, I can assure you. But I said, you can take Mark 11, 25 and 26, and you can show her clearly where God makes us one of the greatest promises of prayer in Mark 11:23 and 24. Anything you desire, whatever you ask, speak to a mountain and it'll move. I mean, awesome promise. Mark 11, 23 and 24. But, when you stand pray, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Because if you do not forgive them, neither will I forgive you. Which means God is not going to answer your prayer. That's what He's trying to tell you. So if you've got an unforgiveness towards someone, forget it. He's not going to answer your prayer. So I said, you can tell her that. And I said, she'll believe that because that's real clear. So he went and told his mother. I said, Mother, Look what Mark 11:23. look what the promise it makes, Mark 11:23 and 24, two awesome promises of God that we can literally ask for anything and God will do it. But when we ask if we hold unforgiveness in our heart toward anyone, we have to forgive them. If we don't forgive them, neither will God forgive us. So I said, Mama, you've got to do that. And so she saw it. She said, You're right, son. I have got to do that. So she asked God to forgive her. Then she went and saw or called all of the people she had been talking evil about and told them she'd found out in God's Word she had to forgive, and so she wanted to forgive them, asked them to forgive her. Now then, everything has been forgiven. Now then, once he told me that this had been done, I said, okay, now then. He said, I want you to go pray for my daddy. I said, no, I'm not going to go. I want you to take him to your daddy's Baptist church. I want you to see that God is a healer, and it's not me that's doing it. I said, because, I, yeah, I walk in great faith, and I know that, and I'm grateful for that. But I said, God is no respecter of person. He'll do for you what He'll do for me. All you've got to do is do it just like I do it. I said, He's God. I said, you go to your daddy's Baptist preacher, and you have him call three or four or five of the deacons, and then you have them read this magnificent promise in James five fourteen and 15. Now, I want you to go there with me after we've seen what happened here. Let's go to James 5, 14, 15. And I want you to see, once you get your sins repented of, I want you to see the promise God has made you in James 5, James 5:14. 5, I want to show you the power of prayer. Now then... First thing you've got to know, you've got to know, in fact, let me ask this question before we read this statement. How many of you know that before God, you're as righteous as Jesus was? How many of you know you're the righteousness of God in Christ? Okay, that's a big bunch of you. Praise God, we've got some people in here that can pray the prayer of faith then. Now then, you've got to know this. If you don't know this, I mean, if you've been taught, oh, you're just an unworthy sinner saved by grace... If you see yourself as an unworthy sinner saved by grace after what Jesus did for you, you're sinning. That's sin. What you're doing, you're spitting in the face of God, you're telling God that what he did through his son is not good enough for you. That don't exactly make the king happy. And he can tell you that too. And so you don't want to go there at all. So look what he says in James five fourteen. It says, uh, in fact, I'll read verse 13. It says, are any among you suffering? There's a lot of people in the church suffering today. They should keep on praying about it. Pray one time? No, keep on praying about it. If you don't get your answer, even Jesus, when somebody says, if you pray more than one time, you pray, you prayed in unbelief the second time. Well, that, some people may have that kind of faith. But Jesus Himself prayed for a blind man And the blind man, he said, what do you see? He said, I see men walking like trees. So Jesus prayed for him twice. And the man could see clearly. Now, let me tell you, if Jesus had to pray twice for somebody, hey, I'm not above my master. I'm way below where my master was. And so sometimes I pray for people 5, 10, 20 times. But if I stay with it in there and don't give up, we always get our answer. Always get our answer. So we don't never give up. Just like Eddie and his dad, they ain't giving up, right? We're standing on the Word. And this boy's getting better every day. Worshipping and praying. Three months ago, the boy couldn't do nothing. He was a vegetable, you know, after a skiing accident. And today, he's walking, and he's talking. He's getting there. And probably in two or three more months, he may be out there running and playing. Just like my Caitlin was, you know. She didn't do it overnight, but I stood on the Word. Now then, it says they should keep praying about it. And those who have reason to be thankful should continuously sing praises to the Lord. Hey, I think He likes it for us to continuously praise His holy name. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody said, Thurman, you walk in. I say, praise the Lord. Hey, I mean, I love to get my prayers answered. Praise the King. Thank you, Jesus. Show no favoritism to nobody. Treat everybody the same. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hey, that's what He said do. Then he says here, are any among you sick? Now, it's unfortunate there is people in the church that sick. Now, we ain't supposed to be, but he says, are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make them well. And anyone who has committed their sins, they will be forgiven. Now, I'm going to tell you what, the church today don't believe this book, because this promise has been in my Bible as long as I've been alive, and I didn't even know it was in there until, until 1986. In 1986, God told me to use that verse to pray over a man that with terminal cancer, that the finest doctors in the country, Indy Anderson, Mayo Clinic, Louisville Hospital, all said he's dead in a few weeks. And when I went to see him, God told me to do that right there. And I called a bunch of men together. Finally, after three weeks, when I built his faith, and we met at Lakeland Baptist Church on Monday night in 1986. And we prayed for a guy that couldn't live. And today, that guy's still alive, and he ain't never had cancer again since that day. And I'm telling you, this book works when you do it like God says. He says, is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and have the elders pray with them and anoint them with all. In fact, that day that we did that for Ed, that was my first experience with God in that divine healing like that. Never. I mean, I had never been taught in the Baptist church. I was a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, loved God, studied His Word, everything. But, and that was the fourth time that God audibly spoke to me when I was at Ed's hospital. And He told me to tell him what to do. And, I, you know, I can still remember when God says, Hey, Thurman, he said, Son, tell Ed to call the men of the church to pray over him and I'll heal him. And I remember walking down the corridor looking up and saying, God, you didn't hear what she said. She said her husband has terminal cancer and he's going to die. Now, see, that shows you how little I knew about God. I can just see the king look down there and say, Son, if you ever get a hold of who I am, if you ever get a hold of who I am, you will learn that with me nothing is impossible. I mean, who do you think made this world you're walking around on? Who do you think made that moon you look at at night up there? Who do you think made that sun out there that's 96 million miles away? I did, he said. And if I made all that, I made that body too. I can heal it. All you got to do is believe it. But that's how little I knew about God. You know, I mean, I didn't know nothing. And here I was. It was only. 1986, that's only been 20 years ago. I knew virtually nothing about God. Well, let me tell you, my dad always told me, he said, son, my dad had a third grade education, but he could do anything. I mean, he could fix anything, build anything, work on any kind of equipment. He said, son, it's not a disgrace to be dumb. It's just a disgrace to stay that way. (laughs) And so... I decided that dad was right, and the only way I was going to gain knowledge was go to schools and learn things. You know, I could have been a, like I told my son, he went through high school, he didn't do real good in high school, he was kind of, you know, he loved football. You know, football was his thing. I know a lot of young boys have that problem. He was very good, in fact, his last year in high school he was the MVP on the team, and whenever the coach gave him that honor at the end of the season, he said, you know, If I got to have three or four yards for a touch for a first down, I always give the ball to Tim. He said, there ain't no three big boys, ain't no three boys can stop him short of three or four yards. Even if he goes straight through that line, I can get three or four yards out of him every time because he's so strong. He said he was my most valuable player. Now, Tim wasn't lightning fast. He was fast. I remember one time he broke loose and he got around through that group and he's running down there. One of them linebackers coming across the field and Tim run about 70 yards. He was running as hard as he could run, but he got about five or 10 yards. from that goal line, that other guy caught him and tackled it. He said, Dad, I was giving it everything I had. But he said, I wish God had just made me a little faster. (laughs) Every boy who plays football wants to be faster and stronger. You know it. But he worked out diligently to get as strong as he was. But still, you know, I don't care how strong you are or how good you are. You know, there's something can take you down out there if you're not careful. Now, then, when this scripture says right here, here, is any sick among you? Whenever the Lord told me to get Ed to he, uh, do this, when Ed finally called us and I called those deacons that night and I told him. Now, this is the first time I've ever done this in my life. And I called some men, and I told them to call men, and I said, show up down at Lakeland Baptist Church at the chapel. Now, the pastor was out of town. The administrator was out of town. So I couldn't get none of the staff, just a bunch of us guys. And so Sunday school teachers and deacons and so forth. And we showed up down there, and that morning I stopped and bought me a bottle of olive oil. I had it in a paper sack. You know, and I walked into the church, and Ed says, what do you got in that sack? I said, a bottle of olive oil. He said... Have you ever done this before? I said, never. He said, oh, great. Here I am with stage four terminal cancer and a man with no experience with a bottle of olive oil from the grocery store. And you think I'm going to get healed? Well, let me tell you. You know who the healer was? It was God. And He was there. And when we stood on this scripture... Ed Brock began to get well. Now, he didn't get well instantly, but Ed began to recover. And it took six months for Ed to get fully well. But he fought that battle, stood on the word, and he got completely healed in six months. And that's been over 20 years ago because it was in 1986, and Ed has never had cancer again to this day. And he's still alive. Never had cancer again. But it totally changed his life, too. Totally changed his life. Now, what kind of a promise is this? If we're in the church and we've got a sin or whatever, and the sin brought sickness and disease upon us, even like unforgiveness, if we do what he says here in faith, what did God guarantee you he would do in those scriptures? Did he say he'd heal you? Why is it today that the church does not believe the Word of God? Why is it when you get sick? How many people in your church, when you get sick, you never dream of coming to the Lord? Never come to your pastor. You wake up one morning and you feel real bad, and maybe it's Wednesday morning, and you say, Pastor... I feel awful today. Uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting tonight that we're going. Could you get three or four of the deacons to anoint me with oil and pray over me so my sins can be forgiven and I can be healed? Do you know? I know a young woman. I, I did know her. She has since died, but I knew a young woman that was a, on staff of a big Baptist church, and she came down with cancer, and she was at home wasting away. And she read that. She was reading the Word. And she come to that. And God quickened her spirit with it. She called her senior pastor and said, Pastor, you've got to come over. I've got to talk to you. And he came over and he, she said, I found something in the Word. I found where I can be healed. He said, what? She said, look at this. And she got this out and read it to him. He said, we don't do that in our Baptist church. That girl died. Had God provided a way for this girl to be healed? Of course He had. God always provides a way out for His children. He never says no to His promises. Isn't that amazing? He always provides these Scriptures. And she found the Scripture and then called her senior pastor and said, Would you all do this for me? He said no. All I got to say is, I sure hope that pastor repents of that sin. I would not want to be that pastor and stand before God someday and hear what he has to say. I called you to minister to my sheep, and you would not. You fed yourselves, and you got fat yourself, but you would not go out and heal the sick. You would not go out and cleanse the lepers. You would not go out and minister to the lost. I don't want to stand before God and have him say that to me, do you? You know what He might just say? Into outer darkness for there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to hear that. Do you? Did you know something else God says in His Word that we don't believe? He said, if you know the truth and you go ahead and do it anyway, I will beat you with many stripes. He said, now those that do things that they don't know, they will be beaten with few stripes. <laughs> This brother here, he's read that before, haven't you? So if you're a Christian and you haven't read the Word and you sin, you don't get by with it. He just says, I will beat you with few stripes. But he said, if you've read my Word and you know what I say and you do it anyway, I will beat you with many stripes. You reckon there's a consequence to sin? Absolutely. Do you want to be beaten with few stripes or many stripes? Hey, there's the right answer. I don't want to be beaten by no stripes. Now, is there a way not to be beaten with stripes? Obey the Lord. Read His Word. Worship Him and praise Him and thank Him every day. I mean, sing praises and bless His holy name. You know, He loves that. He ain't going to beat you with many stripes when you are obedient. Now, see... All of these things we're reading about, these are for people that are sick or afflicted. Isn't that amazing? Is any sick among you? Call for the elders. Let them anoint you with all. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, he didn't say the prayer of unbelief. You get a bunch of deacons together, or a couple of pastors, and they're going to pray over you and say, Oh, God, if it be your will. Now, Lord... I mean, well, Lord, please, if it be your will. Have you ever heard that kind of stuff? I went down to Bryan College Station many years ago to a Catholic church. I had prayed over a woman in Corpus Christi that had terminal cancer, that had a few days left to live, and I took my whole Saturday. Now, I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, went out to DFW, got on an airplane, flew to Houston, changed plane, flew to Corpus, and got to Corpus at 1020. And a man picked me up I'd never seen before in my life, went to their apartment and taught that couple the Word of God for five solid hours. Just those two people. It's like teaching a powerful healing school. For five hours. And after five hours, I asked her, had she heard enough of God's Word to be healed? And that little Baptist woman, which was on her deathbed, looked over at me with fire in her eyes, and she said, Yes, I repent of every sin. You come over and cast this devil of hell out of me, and I'm going to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. Well, see, the Word had got through to her. I went over. She repented of every sin. I laid my hands on her, anointed her with oil, cast the demon out, and God instantly healed that woman. Instantly. I mean, that woman got up and walked down the stairs, went with us to the airport, walked to the end of the terminal, saw me off, walked back, hadn't had a bite to eat in three weeks, and had a fried shrimp dinner that evening. (laughs) I'm telling you. Now, about six months later, this Catholic priest that knew her he called he said, I hadn't heard from her in a long time. I think I'll call over there and see what happened. She must have died. So he said, I called over there and she answered the phone and I said, I'm trying to get a hold of Judy. He said, This is Judy. I said, Judy, you sound strong. She said, Praise God, I'm perfect. He said, What did you do? She said, A Baptist deacon from Justin come down and kicked the devil out of me and I got healed. Then she said, he said, I've got to have that guy's name and address. So he called me and wanted to know if I'd come down there and speak in his church, Catholic church. I said, sure, be happy to. So I went down there and I met with him and spoke in the church. And at the end of the day, he said, you know, we do anoint people. We use that James 5.14 in this church. but he said, we have never seen a healing in this church. Never. But he said, after today, I know why. I said, why? He said, I always, when I go to pray for somebody, Oh, God, please, Lord, if it be Your will. He said, I never prayed in faith, not one time. But he said, today, I know what I've done wrong. He said, Lord, I repent for not believing Your Word. I'm going to pray in faith. He said, from this day forth, when I know it about all of say, I guarantee you're healed in the name of Jesus. And when you do that, guess what God starts doing? He starts healing them for you. See, He's not a... He is not a wishy-washy God. See, the Lord says clearly in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, When you ask for something, you must ask in faith nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. So what can you waver? Nothing. That's exactly right. Well, how are you going to be able to pray a prayer of faith for somebody and know what God's will is? You're going to have to know the Word. If you know what the Word says, then you can pray the prayer of faith for people. And then you can guarantee them they'll get healed. And they do. And they will. They will. I mean, Paul, he's seen many things happen since he got right with God and started walking obedience to his He sees prayers answered all of, all over the place. He's an over-the-road truck driver. He drives from coast to coast. And I mean, he has passed out these CDs and DVDs of ours. All He has scattered them, I mean, everywhere he goes. Every truck stop I think he stops at, I think he throws them like a, a Frisbee or something over there. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> But he's passing them out. And, and I, had a, I had a preacher that he passed them out. From some truck stop up in Virginia here a while back. The guy called me and said, Brother, this stuff has changed my life forever. He said, I got a hold of your stuff. And I went back and looked at the Word. And the Word and what you said says the same thing. He said, I walked into a truck stop the other day. And there was a guy back there in a wheelchair. And he said, the Holy Ghost has come all over me. I run back and I told him, it's time for you to be healed. And he said, I com- confessed his sin, rebuked the devil. Commanded him to stand up and walk. He said, "The guy got up and walked out of the truck stop on his own two legs." He said, "I won't never be the same." I thought, "Wow!" And it was because Paul had left some DVDs up there. You know, he drove by there and left them, and the guy listened to them. And you know, when you go back and check out what I teach, it's written in the Word. If it's in the Word, then it'll work for you just like it does for me. Isn't that wonderful? That God is no respecter of persons. All you've got to do is repent of your sins, and He will heal you. Now, it says there, as we go on there in the next verse, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What do He tell you to confess? Your sins. Confess your sins. If you've got sins against each other, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is God's Word, isn't it? This ain't some book I bought down at the store that some fly-by-night cowboy wrote. This is the Word of God, folks. You know? I mean, I got faith in this book, don't you? If God said it, now, I I would never get up before you and teach anybody. I don't care if it was a Ph.D. or a Th.D. from the seminary. I would never get up here and teach you from His book, but I will from God's book. If God said it, and I can back it with what He said, then I'll teach it. But I ain't going to teach nothing else except what God says. But He says there, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now see, somebody said, well, I couldn't possibly pray the prayer of faith because I'm not righteous. Now, are you a son of God? Are you a daughter of God? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he has made you the righteousness of God in Christ. So if you're as righteous as Jesus, why can't you pray the prayer of faith? The devil has deceived you. You don't know who you are in Christ. When you learn who you are in Christ and realize that You are being conformed into the image of Jesus. And you're supposed to do the same things that Jesus did, even greater. Then you'll start praying for people. When you know it wasn't, just like Peter. When Peter cast that devil, I mean, he walks up to the gate, beautiful, going to church. And there in the morning, and there's a man sitting there, and he's handicapped. He hadn't been able to walk for years. And he says, I need some money. Peter said, I don't have no money. But what I got better than money. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that guy looked up at him and said, what? Peter said, I didn't tell you to argue with me. He reached out and grabbed him by the hand. He said, in the name of Jesus, get up. In the name of Jesus, by faith, he jerked that devil right out of that man. He jerked him up and he hit on his feet. And he said, the guy began to run and scream and jump and praise God, and run up down the steps and everything else. And then, of course, then the church leaders got involved. How did you do this? What do you mean doing this? Well, you know, if you want to know how I did it, don't let you think it was by my righteousness or my holiness, but it was by faith in the name of Jesus that this man stands before you whole. They said, don't you ever speak in this name again. Do you hear me? Things haven't changed in the church much, has it? Here we are, the most powerful entity in the world, And it's like nobody believes this book anymore. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't understand why we as a church can't believe and read the book. And if God said it, why can't we do it? Number one, if God says be holy because I am holy, why don't we strive to be holy? If God says don't have no sin in you, then why don't we strive to have no sin? Because if we'll do what he says, you won't be sick. You don't never have to be sick again. I mean, it really works. I mean, I have proved it works. I used to have all kinds of sickness and disease until I was over 40 years of age. And then I got a hold of this. I started walking obedience to the Word. And I received Jesus as my healer, just like I did my Savior. And from then till now. And I'm fixing to be 68, praise God. And I have not had a sick day since I received Jesus as my healer. Not a sick day. I go every day, do anything I want to do. I don't even have to be concerned about being sick. You know, if I wake up in the morning and there's even a little sign of a runny nose or anything, I say, Lord, have I sinned somewhere? Did I do something wrong? Uh, Did I say something I shouldn't have? Lord, if I did, I repent. I repent, Lord. Now then that I've repented, I'm clean and pure. You devil of hell, get out in the name of Jesus. you got to go. i got things to do today. You ain't keeping me down. In Jesus' name, I'm gone. And I go and he goes. Jesus clearly told you in his word. Jesus told you in James 4 7, you submit yourself to me. You know what it means to submit to God? Give it all. Give it all. That's exactly right. Give him all. When he says submit yourself to me, then he says, when you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But there's people out there all over the place not submitting to God. They're doing their own thing, living in some kind of sin. I can only imagine a preacher down there in the church trying to cast a demon out, and he's sleeping with the church secretary. I mean, that happens, folks. That's happening. That's why we can't do anything, because you cannot do that if you're sinning. I don't care what the sin. You may have a little bitty sin. Your sin may be a little gossip in the background that nobody else knows about. But God knows about it. Your sin may be a little bit of grumbling in the background that nobody knows but you and your wife. But that grumbling will make you sick. That is a spiritual law. God says do all things without grumbling and complaining. How many of us can do that? Anybody grumble lately? Unfortunately, we do, don't we? Have you repented? Lord, I repent for grumbling. Lord, I repent. Now, if the king says in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining, do you think he meant that? So why do we grumble and complain? Because we don't know. Well, it's 3 o'clock already. We're going to take up our offering right now. And after we take up our offering, then we're going to give you a break for about 15 or 20 minutes to go to the bathroom. My lovely honey bunny uh, is going to help, I think. What did we do with the... uh, things. And Sharon over here, she's going to help you. If you need an envelope, if you need an envelope, just hold up your hand and Sharon or Cheryl or somebody will pass. We've got all kinds of them down here. Wants want some envelopes, Sharon, right here. If, you, if, you want, if you're going to give cash, you'll need an envelope if you want a receipt. If you're, if you're going to give a check, you don't need an envelope, but if you want one, you can have one. But uh, if you give cash, be sure and put your name and everything on the front, so we'll know who to give credit to for the money. Because we we can give you credit because we are a 501, and we can give you a receipt that it's a tax deductible donation at the end of the year, and we do send those out. Cheryl done a great job last year keeping up with everybody. Honey, we got another one up here at the front and uh, i was amazed uh, how many people that uh, how few people we had last year we couldn't find at the end of the year only a very very small number and we got stuff going out all over the world now and it's getting bigger every day i would have never dreamed you know that years ago that we would be giving away 10,000 CDs and DVDs a week but that's what we're giving away now about 10,000 did you need something brother Oh oh the oh I didn't stop, didn't finish that story did I I'm sorry I got off on another I'll tell you that story right quick Anyway when this woman repented of her sins and uh, and Jerry uh, that was the son's name uh, he went to the pastor and got the pastor and a few of the deacons together and they called him over and I told him listen now you tell the pastor they've got to pray that prayer in faith they prayed that prayer in faith for that gentleman, and in one week's time, after eight years of cancer, he was completely healed, and today he's still alive and no more cancer. All because of his wife's sin, and let me tell you, I'm going to finish, finish that story too. They told me, said, you know, we are, we're, I'm healed, and I, the doctor said, there's no cancer left in my body, and so... He said, but I'm in debt, so I'll never get out. I said, it would probably been better if I'd have died. So now I've got to pay all these bills. I told him, I said, the devil has been found out here. I said, he's got to repay. So I said, I'll tell you what, let's do. You've repented. I said, I want you and your wife to sit down and write a letter and explain this miracle that you've got from God to all these hospitals and all the doctors that you owe this money to. And they did. And within a matter of weeks, they got an unheard of return Every one of the hospitals, every one of the doctors, except one, sent an article back and said, this is the most incredible story we've ever heard, and we're going to cancel your death. You don't owe us a penny, except one doctor. One doctor said, I don't believe this. He said, you come down here, I'm going to check you. Said, nobody with a cancer like you gets well after all that time. He went down, and the doctor checked him, gave him a complete checkup. And he said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. He said, I'll tell you what, after seeing this and you're completely healed, I've never heard a story like you're sick because of your wife's sin. I never heard this. I never, never, never. But he said, whatever happened, you got healed. He said, there's no cancer in your body. He said, not only am I going to forgive your death that you owe me, but he said, if you ever need a doctor, as long as you leave, you come back to me, and I won't ever charge you a dime. So, and that man is still alive today. He's still alive. Isn't God good? Now, what if he hadn't found out this promise? He would have been dead ten years ago. All because of whose sin? His wife. Isn't that something? That's something. But most people in the church do not understand that revelation in Matthew eighteen twenty-one 21-35. When God says, if you don't forgive, I will send the tortures to you to torment you. They don't believe He'll do that. But let me tell you, He'll do it. And then he'll forgive you. Okay. I'll tell them that when we come back from break. Yeah. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless the people as they give to your ministry. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, bless them as they give. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stephen, I was just talking about like the pastor that was in that big church. It wasn't even in a state, it was another state. Uh, that this pastor would not pray over this girl, this Baptist church, uh, and the girl died. That will give you a way to pray. You need to make sure that you pray for revelation and wisdom that God will open the eyes of these men. Because these men, they need their eyes to be open to the Word of God. I mean, if God said it, you know, so anyway, by the way, whoever it was, while I goes, ask you if my wife was here. This is my wife right here. So for those of you that don't know who she is, <laughs> yeah. this is my honey bunny right here, sitting right here on the front row. She is here with me today. Praise the King. And so I am grateful for this lovely uh, daughter that God gave me, His daughter. Uh, it's amazing how He puts His sons and His daughters together. You know, if you're be obedient and serve Him and do what He says. Uh, He will just bless your socks off. You know, he'll do great and wonderful things. So, especially since Cheryl and I, neither one, was going to ever get married again. You know, she kept saying there's not any good men left in the world. And so, I didn't think there was any good women left in the world. (laughs) Oh, no, no, I'm just kidding. I know that there's some good ones. But uh, a lot of you ladies are great ladies. But... uh, I guess I have to say I didn't want to have to cross train another one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know it. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Or maybe she wouldn't have to go to cross train another guy. These, so, oh, but so anyway, we do have lots of fun together. I will have to say, we love the Lord. <clears throat> we praise the Lord together. We read together. We study together. And we really have lots of fun together. We work out there at the ministry center all the time, and uh, we're just uh, having so much fun we can't hardly stand it. Uh, She did tell me last night, Dave and I sat out in the truck with this new software package about how to do navigation, you know, because we're going more places in the airplane now, so uh, the Lord has just been extremely good to us and blessed us with a beautiful airplane and and, of course, he gave me the knowledge years ago to fly one. So uh, it's so magnificent how quick we can get in an airplane and fly somewhere, you know, over what it takes to drive. So even the other day, give you an example. The other day, we were asked to come up to Chanute, Kansas, to speak in a church up there. So we had to fly, the team of us, we had to go down here, took a couple hours at DFW, get on an airplane, fly a little over an hour to Tulsa and then get off of an airplane, go to the rental car place and rent a car and then drive two hours to get to Chanute, Kansas. And uh, so but we did that and then later of course we had uh, the airplane and there was two different people that lived in that same area in Chanute, Kansas, and they called us and wanted to know if we'd come up there and pray for these two people. So we just run out there and jumped in the airplane and in two hours we're at Chanute, Kansas landed, the pastor picks us up, and in 15 minutes, we're in the church. We've been all afternoon with two different families and pray over them and run back out there, get on an airplane, and about 30 minutes after dark, we're landed over here at Terrell, and we did all that in one day. Now, you can't do that driving, but we did all that flying. So, and and we did that in our small airplane. You know, the small airplane only flies about 140 miles an hour. The Bigger one flies about 180 to 190 miles an hour. And now the Lord's blessed us with another one that's even bigger and faster than that. It goes about 240, you know. And it'll carry seven people. And we're supposed to take delivery of it Monday. The guy's going to be here Monday to bring us that beautiful airplane. And now we're going to have two twins. Isn't that amazing what God has done? And what really is amazing... Just like I told the people before, I said, when God moved on my heart, He wanted me to get an airplane. I thought, Lord, I hadn't flown in 36 years. You know, I said, but I used to be an international airline pilot, so I know I can fly it. So I said, Lord, <clears throat> it takes a lot of money to buy an airplane. You know what the Lord says? Do you think my arms got too short? <laughs> I read that in the Scripture <laughs> where Moses, Moses was out there. See, me, Moses and I, we're, we're all human beings. And... <clears throat> We were, Moses was out in the wilderness and the people were grumbling and complaining. We're tired of this manna. We want some meat to eat. They're just grumbling and complaining. And so Moses goes to the Lord and he said, Lord, these people want meat. He said, I know. I hear they're grumbling and complaining. And he said, I don't like it. But I'm going to send them meat. Moses said, When? He said, Tomorrow. They'll have more meat than they can eat tomorrow. And Moses stops a minute, and he's he's seen God separate the Red Sea and everything else. But he backs off, and he says something like this. And the terms he used, this is the way it would be spoken today. God, there's not enough railroad tracks and railroad cars in the nation to bring enough food out here by tomorrow for this mass of people. He didn't use railroad cars, but that's the terminology he's using. And God says, Moses, do you think my arm's getting shorter? (laughs) <laughs> in other words, you don't think I can do this? Well, Moses didn't have any idea how God was going to do that. But the next day, it says millions of quail. Now, you've got to think, there's a very small number of people out there in the desert. Only about the same number that's in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. How would you like to feed the entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex tomorrow Meat. You think you could haul them enough meat? You think you could get enough 18-wheelers together to bring enough meat to Dallas to feed all the millions, four million people? I couldn't. I can understand where Moses is coming from. I mean, he didn't have highways and trucks and, and warehouses and everything else. He was out in the middle of nowhere. God, where are you going to get all this food to feed all these multitudes? God said, I know how to take care of it. So the next day, the quail came through by the millions and they captured them, knocked them out. God said, I'm not going to send them just meat for a day, not for a week, but I'm going to send them meat for a month. And so quails just went everywhere. And the people were getting them, catching them right in the air, killing them, cooking them, and eating them. And it said, although they, he gave them their request, he sent a wasting disease with it to destroy them because of their grumbling and complaining. You don't want to make the king angry, do you? Do you think he likes grumbling and complaining? I don't. Because they were grumbling and complaining. He say, God, it, we want meat out here. We're fed up with this manna that you send. We want meat. He listened to it for several days. one day he said, okay, I'm going to send you meat. But he sent a plague with it to destroy him. And thousands of the people died. He said they died with the meat still in their teeth. It's amazing, isn't it? Why do we get sick and why are we afflicted? Because of sin. God loves you to praise Him and worship Him and thank Him. He don't like grumbling and complaining. So as we've realized these things and done these things, we've praised Him, worshipped Him, and thanked Him. We've got more places to go now, more places, more cities to go to, and there's more of us having to go. So Ty, my associate pastor, he wanted to learn how to fly and get a small airplane. So he did. He bought a 172, a brand new one. <clears throat> and then we got to get checked out in that. And then he flew it about 60, 70 hours, got his Pilots license, and he traded it in, bought a 182, and a brand new one. And uh, so we've been flying it around, and so we've, we go lots of places, but it will only carry four people and very little baggage. So we started seeking God and say, Lord, we need something. If we're going to fly an airplane, we need a bigger one. So we need something. We need you to send us one. So we've done all of our research. And found that we thought a Seneca 2 at that time would be the best thing. And so <clears throat> I found one. I paid the down payment on it. And they said it will take four weeks to do an annual on it. It was out of annual. I said, no problem. And I said, Lord, <clears throat> I need quite a bit of money to come in in the next month or whatever. Because I want to pay for this airplane. I don't wanna, I, I'm not going to borrow any money to buy an airplane. So it took eight weeks for the annual to take place. And in the eight weeks, God sent enough money to continue the ministry as He had been doing and exactly enough more in that eight weeks to totally pay for the airplane. Isn't that awesome? And then, a little bit of additional amount of money began to come in and so we put that back and we got to realizing that this Seneca 2 sixth place wasn't big enough to carry all of us. So we needed a bigger one. And so... Okay, Lord, we started looking, and a man that had a really nice Cessna 421, you know, that's a nice airplane, you know, big airplane. It'll carry a lot of weight, and it flies extremely fast, and I said, Lord, we'll buy this, and with the money we had and the additional money that came in, we now have the money. In fact, I went to the bank Thursday and got a cashier's check Monday, tomorrow when they get or Monday, day after tomorrow, when he comes, I have the cashier's check at the house to pay him cash for that airplane. It'll be paid for when it gets here. All I can say is thank you, Jesus. The Lord blesses us in so many ways, in so many ways, and he says in his word, if you'll be obedient and do what I tell you, I will bless everything you put your hands to. Well, That's what I love. I love serving God. I love walking in divine health. I love seeing people get healed. And we go all over and pray for people and see people get healed and see them get raised up and their lives change. And now that we've got an airplane, every time somebody calls, Cheryl thinks well, I'll just jump in it and fly over there and pray for them right quick. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I used to say, honey, we could drive over there and take six hours. Oh, no, no, no. I don't. Let's do it over the telephone. I said, well, now we can fly down there in an hour and a half. She said, okay, let's go. I'm ready to go. But not, And another thing, too, this big one, the 421, has a, uh, a bathroom in it. And so that makes it extremely nice for the girls. They like that. And so for everybody that's been involved, which have been several people involved in these two airplanes, actually I am so grateful for your dedication and your giving. I am so thankful because it's given us the privilege to take these airplanes and to be able to go where we couldn't go before and to carry the people and do the things that we want to do to serve our King. So, what a God we serve, huh? Beyond my wildest dreams. Okay, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come back to the study of Your Word, I ask You to bless everything we do. I ask You to bless Your Word ask you to reveal to the people where their sins are so they can get them repented of. So when we go to the promises of God, they will work for every one of them every time. So, Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now we're going to go uh, back and, uh, in fact, Cheryl told me to tell something. What was it you? Oh, yeah. There was a man uh, uh, talking about that unforgiveness thing. Uh, I was called to Fort Worth several years ago to pray for a man, uh, a deacon from a big Baptist church in North Fort Worth, and I went over there, and he was cancerous, very critically ill, and this friend of his asked me to go. I didn't know him. I went over there, and I met with him, and I talked to him about what it took to get healed. And of course, I'd already learned these principles, so I told him he had to get his sins repented up, and... Uh, When I got to unforgiveness, I asked him if he had any unforgiveness in his heart, and he kind of flinched. And I said, "You got some, don't you?" And he said, "Yes, I do." I said, "Who is it against?" He said, "I got. Uh, there's a man did something to my twin granddaughters, little bitty girls." And he said, uh, "And I said, well, I don't want to know what it is. All I know is you have got to forgive him." He said, "No, I am not going to forgive that guy for what he done for my granddaughter." I said, "Well, if you don't forgive him, you can't get well." And the doctor walked in and said, doctor, this man just told me that if I don't forgive a man that i got a grudge against, I can't get well. The doctor said, oh, he don't know what he's talking about. Said, so we, we're a doctor. We'll take care of this. I said, ma'am, as a doctor woman, I said, ma'am, I'm going to tell you that I've learned that every sickness and every disease starts in the spirit world. I said, it comes through the spirits. That's where it comes from. I said, this man has broken a spiritual law. He's opened a spiritual path for the devil to get in. And the devil's in there destroying his flesh. And if he does not forgive, there's nothing you can do to heal this man. And she said, I don't believe that. I said, okay. So anyway, I tried and tried. In fact, his little 16-year-old granddaughter got up and said, Granddaddy, please, this man, he says that if you don't forgive, you can't get well. He said, I don't believe that. And So she said, but, man, Daddy, why not forgive him? He said, well, I don't want to. So I said, sir, if you don't forgive, you're not going to get well. Yeah, well, I'll pray about it. I said, no, no, don't do any good to pray about it. I said, God's not going to hear your prayer. I said, He's told you something in His Word, point blank, what to do. How many of you know if God says, forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, or I will not forgive you, you don't need to pray about that? You know, it's settled forever in heaven. If it's written in the Word, if He says, if you don't forgive, I'll send a torturing spirit to torment you. Hey, you don't have to ask God what His will is. He's told you what His will is. You either forgive Him, or I I send a tormenting spirit to torment you. And so, He said, well, I'm not going to forgive Him. I said, okay. I prayed for Him, and I got up to leave. And as I'm walking down the corridor of the hospital, the Lord spoke to me and said, son... Do you remember in my word where I said, If he does not forgive, neither will I forgive him? I said, Yes, Lord. I, mean, I know where that's at several places. He said, So if he dies, if he does not forgive, and he dies, and I don't forgive him, you think I'm going to let him in my heaven? I said, Lord, he's a Baptist deacon. He's washed in the blood. He said, Don't make any difference. If he don't forgive, and I don't forgive him, I cannot let him in heaven if he does not forgive. He dies in that unforgiveness. He goes to hell. I thought, Lord, this is a little too powerful. I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole for years. And then Pastor Daniel in Africa. How many of you have ever heard of Pastor Daniel from Africa? Several of you have. Pastor Daniel was a pastor of a church down there in Africa. Now, Ty Davenport, the man that's my associate pastor, which they got a family reunion today his mother's 80th birthday, so he's not here today. But him and his wife, or him and his group, a group that he goes to Africa with, they've been down there since this event three times. And they've talked to Pastor Daniel every time they've went. So they know him personally. But a few years ago, Pastor Daniel, which the a pastor of a church, got into an unforgiveness with his wife one morning. He wanted her to do something, and she wouldn't do it. He got so mad at her that he even called her a fool. And on the way to church, he said, I'll get even with this woman if it's the last thing I ever do. See, he didn't know the promise of he God. He's a preacher. Well, that opened the door to a demon, and he was driving a very nice car that has a very good dual brake system on it, but the entire brake system failed on that car that day, and he ran into a concrete embankment and drove the steering column through his chest, and he was instantly dead. The angel came and picked him up and took him to heaven and showed him, said, this is where you were going to be. He said, what do you mean this is where I was going to be? He said, until this morning, when you got into the unforgiveness with your wife, You opened the door to the devil through your sin, and he was allowed to kill you this morning, and said, Now then, the Lord told me to bring you here and show you heaven so you get a glimpse of it before I take you to hell. And Pastor Daniel went to hell, and he stayed there almost three days. But the woman on earth, she would not give up. She would not let them bury her husband. She said, I've read in the Word where the Word says women, wives, have received their husbands from the dead by faith. All i got to say is that pastor, he better be grateful he had a great woman. That woman would not let them bury him. In fact, she, I mean, everybody thought she was crazy when she said, God's going to raise him from the dead. Yeah, sure he is. Chest tore all to pieces. You know, he's dead. He's already been embalmed and everything, and God's going to raise him from the dead. Yes. Well, they wouldn't, she wouldn't let them bury him. Finally, about three days later, Reinhardt Bunkey was going to be speaking at a great big church, dedicating it down there somewhere. It wasn't too far away. And she had them put him in a hearse and drive him down there. And she pulled up in front of that church, and she wanted to take the casket in and let Reinhardt pray over it and raise him from the dead. And they wouldn't let her. They said, no, you ain't bringing that casket in this church. She said, well, then we're going to take his body out of the casket and take him down in the basement. And so they let her do that. They come in a side door. They put his hard, stiff body, which had been dead three days, on a table down underneath the platform where Reinhardt was But He didn't even know he was there. But when Reinhardt monkey started praying for the sick, God started raising this man from the dead. Amen. And God, I mean, several of the men, they went and got a camera. They videoed this thing, everything. I've got a copy of the video, everything. I've seen this. But the pastors that were all down there, they started caressing. His heart is a rock, of course. So they started rubbing his arms and everything. And they we'll help God. God didn't need no help. You know, but they thought he did. You know, it's so amazing how we always think God needs a little help. But he didn't need no help. He knew what he was doing. He raised him slowly from the dead. And when he got up, the first thing he wanted to know is, where is my list? God had showed him things, and he had written them down, and he wanted to know where that list was. But after he'd come back from the dead, and it took several weeks for the formaldehyde that was in his body to go away where he didn't stink. You couldn't, they said you couldn't stand to be within a block of him for a while. But he's walking around with formaldehyde in his body. I mean, amazing what God can do. Isn't it amazing what God can do? I mean, a king can do anything. He, there's nothing hard for God. All we've got to do is have somebody that believes. And praise God, he had a good woman. He had a woman that believed with no doubt in her heart that God would raise her husband from the dead. And he did. After he raised him from the dead and he told the story about going to heaven, going to hell and everything. And somebody will ask him, would you possibly even consider unforgiveness towards your wife for anything she does? What do you think his answer is? (laughs) He learned his lesson well. Very well. That ought to be a great lesson for some of the rest of us. Unforgiveness? Forget this nonsense. You know, what you did to me ain't worth going to hell for, is it? No. So you don't do it. So now then, I know when God spoke to me that and told me that, I couldn't fathom that. But now after visiting... Ty and his group visiting with Pastor Daniel three times. In fact, the one man that goes with Ty, he goes over there every time and sits down and talks with him for hours. He still finds it so hard to believe that this guy really was dead for three days. But it's very well documented. I mean, it's every, the, the Lord, when He healed him, He took away all the scars. In fact, that Muslim undertaker that embalmed him. And whenever he came back from the dead, he said, you know who this guy is? He said, well... He looks like a guy that I bombed a few days ago, but he says he couldn't be. He said, but he said, I am the same guy. He said, no, 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 no. He opened his chest up and said, your chest was tore all to pieces where that stirring wheel went through your chest. He opened his shirt and he said, see there, there's not a scar. He said, but I tell you, I am the man. He said, I tell you what, let me see your right leg. So he pulls up his leg, his leg and looks and there's about a three or four inch slice in his leg, and the scar is still there. He said, what do you want to see that for? He said, that's where I cut your leg open to embalm you. He said, you are the man. Now, why do you think God didn't take away all the scars? He left that one to prove that that Muslim, that he raised this man from the dead. Do you know that in the next six months, in Reinhardt Bunke's ministry, Because of that testimony, of course, that hit every magazine in Africa, every newspaper in Africa. I mean, it went through the African continent like a wildfire. And in the next six months, in Reinhardt Bunke's ministry, they had 9.6 million written conversions of faith to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. 9.6 million. Now, that's a lot of people, isn't it? But that's only the ones that wrote it. I wonder how many more of them says, when somebody one of them told them about this, they say, I want to make this Jesus Lord of my life too. Yeah. There is no telling. How many, only God knows the total record of how many people He brought to Himself through that awesome miracle because of that one woman. That one woman stood in faith. She had an impact on the world that's beyond most of us dreams. What kind of an impact can you and I have on the world? Hey, it's unlimited. There's no telling what you can do for Jesus. Only He knows what He will do. You know, I mean, I can think probably five years ago when a woman had come to one of, or a couple, two or three of my healing schools. She called me one day. And, of course, I got little healing school, you know, 20 people. I hadn't been doing it very many years. And I was giving away, you know, a couple of hundred tapes or something maybe uh, at a healing school. And she called me one day and said, uh, Thurman, I had a dream last night. And she, In the dream, Jesus was there, and I saw millions of people out in front, far as I could see. And I said, Lord, who are these people? And she said, he spoke to me in that dream and said, These are the people I'm going to save and heal and deliver through my servant, Thurman Scriffner. I had no idea. When she called me, I thought, oh, yeah, sure, sure. You know, giving away a couple of hundred tapes a week. Now we give away ten to 15,000 a week. Who knows where they're going? You know? These teachings that God has given me will change your life. You listen to them, they will change your life because those are direct from God. He give these things to me. You got to remember the Lord has spoken to me over 30 times. I've heard his voice over 30 times. So. Need to move it, I guess. Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay, now then. Who knows what God can use you for? All you got to do is make yourself available. All you got to do is make yourself available. And I would have never dreamed, you know, back in those days, a little Baptist Sunday school teacher with 10 people in a class, that they would come when I'd be passing out 10,000 CDs and DVDs a week. I had no idea. But God knew what He was doing, and He still knows what He's doing. And I'm just grateful to get in on the bottom floor. And I will have to say that all of us need to be out there doing something great for Jesus this week. He's your Lord, He's your God, He wants you to produce fruit. And he says, if you produce fruit, he said, I'll bless you. He said, if you don't produce any fruit, he says I'll cut you off and bring you home. You know, now, anybody ready to die and go home today? No, nope, no, nope, me neither. You know, most people don't believe he'll do that either, but he'll do that too. It's written in the Word, John 15, 2. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and every branch in me that produces no fruit for my kingdom, I cut you off. So, if you want to live a long time, you better produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Okay, now then let's go to the, uh, Exodus chapter 20. And let's look at these commandments. We talked about one of the worst things that brings cancer on you that I know about, and that was unforgiveness. And the next one is this one. And it's the number one commandment in the ten. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from slavery in Egypt, Do not worship any other gods beside Me. Do not worship any other gods beside Me. Do not make idols of any kind, whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish. You must never worship or bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and who will not share your affections with any other God. I do not leave unpunished the sins of those who hate me, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. And a lot of people are sick today because of sins of your parents. You know, a lot of children. We have ministered to many children that were born with incurable diseases, every kind of thing known to man. In fact, One of them, in fact, this couple here a while ago asked me about Gloria. Gloria came to this ministry several years ago. She was already an ordained minister, but she didn't have this together. And when she heard me on the radio, she just got on fire. She came to me and she said, when I heard you on the radio, I said, this man's got what I want. And so she came out here and we taught her the word for two or three years. And then she went to work for us in the ministry. She worked for us for about a year as one of our prayer warriors one of the greatest women of faith you'll ever meet. Now, I've had several great women of faith work for us in the, in the ministry, some great ones. But Gloria was one of those. She was a great one. She could pray the prayer of faith for you and everything. But one of the things that happened, Gloria had a relative that had a Baptist, and she called Gloria one day and said, Gloria, I've got a baby down at the hospital I need you to pray for. She said, What's wrong? You, who's the baby? She said, it's my baby. She said, did you get married? And she said, no. She said, you got a baby and you're not married? She said, well, yes. What's wrong with that? Anybody know that God says I hate sex out of wedlock? Anybody ever read that in the Word? Well, he had not changed his mind. You know, he had not changed. But this little girl was a Baptist. She went to a Baptist church. And obviously, she never heard this. So she moved in with a young man and started having sex with him, and that will bring you under a curse. Bam, just like that. One time all it takes. Bam, you're under a curse from God. You've broken his law. Well, this little girl didn't know this, so she got pregnant, and she had a little girl, and the little girl had some complications, and so they couldn't bring her home, and only just a few days after she was born, the doctor told her, said, you might as well say goodbye to your little girl. Her liver is failing, and she's not going to make it. So when she called Gloria for prayer, Gloria went down there, and she said, the reason your baby is sick is because you're sin. Amen. She said, right here, God says that He will curse the children to the third and fourth generation for the sins of the parents. said, so you brought that child into the world in an adulterous affair. You're not married to this man. So, said, there's only one way we can get the baby healed, and that's for you to repent. So, she repented. And she said, and you've got to move out. You've got to stop when you repent. You've got to move out, and you've got to stop having sex with this boy. So, she said, what if I don't do that? She said, it's simple. Your baby's going to die. She said, well, I don't want her to die. She said, well, then you haven't got any alternatives. You've got to repent and move out. So, the girl repented. And she made God a promise she'd not do this no more. So Gloria went down there, and the little girl was in a glassed-in type oxygen deal and everything else. So she couldn't lay hands on her. But the Word of God says in Mark 16:17 and 18, for those of us that walk in obedience to His Word and believe Him, in Mark 16:17 and 18, Jesus said, And these signs shall follow those that believe in my name. You shall drive out demons. You shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall get well. Amen. Now, that's a promise from God. So, Gloria went down there, and she said, Lord, you know my heart. You know that my relative here has repented of her sins. And, Lord, now then I can't touch this child because she's under this glass deal. But by faith, I'm laying my hands on the glass, and I'm going to, in faith, I'm touching this child. And then she said, You devil of hell... She said, you've got to come out of this baby because her mother has repented of her sins. I command you to come out. And now then, Lord, you said for me to lay hands on the child, she'll get healed. So by faith, I'm laying hands on this child, although I can't physically touch her. And in one hour after Gloria did that, the little girl was completely well. One hour. She's been to this church many times since then. She's probably three now. She runs around here. She's a beautiful little girl. If she hadn't had a relative that knew the Word of God, that little girl would have died because of her mother's sin. Now see, people don't believe this book. If you believe this book, you would never have sex out of wedlock. Never. If you've had sex out of wedlock, you need to ask God to forgive you, and then you need to break that soul tie between you and the person you had sex with. Because if they had had sex with five other people, you got five other unholy soul ties. And every demon that had a legal right to every one of them got a legal right to you. So you can wind up dying. I know of a young girl one time that was a clean, holy girl. She was a, a beautiful young lady. She went through high school and she was a virgin. And she left and went to college and she met this football boy, quarterback, and he tried everything to get to go with her. And she wouldn't go with him because he had four or five other girlfriends. And she said, I'm not that kind of girl. So he finally got rid of all those girls. And she finally, he enticed her to go with him. And so she did. And she, he was, she was a beautiful young woman. And he started shortly after they started going together trying to entice her to have sex with him. And she said, no, I'm a Christian. And I don't do those kind of things. He finally kept on, you know, if you really loved me, you would. If he really loved her, he wouldn't have asked her. But he didn't really love her. He was interested in conquering her. That was his desire. And he finally did. And they had sex one time. And then she found out shortly thereafter, she had AIDS. He had AIDS. And in one year, she was dead. Sin. Sin has a serious consequence. Serious consequence. So, think about that next time you start to go to bed with somebody that's not your mate. And if you get married, if you're not married, if you marry somebody, make sure that you're going to marry somebody you know that God sent, that you're clean and holy. Because you don't realize the complications. How would you like to be a clean, perfect young lady? And you've kept yourself clean and pure and the boy has been out with five or six or seven or eight other women, and he's got all these soul ties, and he's got all this sin in his life, and then he marries you, and you and him get pregnant, and you have a baby, and the baby's handicapped. It wasn't because of your sin. It was because of his. I've seen that, too, many times. Many times. But God's You want to have healthy children? I mean, is everybody would like to have healthy children? I would. You know how you're going to have them? You're going to do it God's way. You're going to walk holy in obedience to His word, and if you do, then you can have blessed children. But if you don't do it God's way, you're not going to have them. You're not going. To, it's like when I told you when I walked down to Dallas Medical Center the other day and I saw all those children. I mean, some of them had arms missing, legs missing. You name it. They was some of the most awful looking children. Why are those children like that? Do you ever wonder? It's because of sin. That's the only reason. God's in control. And when people get into sin, and, I mean, it's amazing. You know, a lot of those mothers and fathers of those children, they were in drugs. You know, they were on alcohol. They were out sleeping with everybody. You can name it. And then they get pregnant and bring some child into the world. The devil's got every kind of legal right in the world. The child's born mentally retarded, physically retarded, arms twisted behind her back, you name it. Everything. I saw kids back there with legs drawn, twisted around. Awful, awful, awful things. And all because of sin. With no sin, God promises to bless you and your children. He tells you, you will have none, nothing like this if you'll be obedient and serve me. Hey, I'm telling you. It's in the book. Now let's go on. This number one commandment. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and you're to have no other gods before you. So, if you spend ten hours a week in front of the television, and one hour on Sunday before church, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You've got another God. And it's television. Yes, sir. When I learned this years ago, I turned the television off, I turned the radio off, you know, I only watch I only listen to Christian radio. I'll, if I watch television, it's Christian. Only Christian. I don't watch nothing else. In fact, if you don't even have to be concerned about what your children watch, you can go to my website and you can find on my homepage an antenna, which I don't get no money from this whatsoever. I bought one of them myself and I was so impressed that's why I put their ad on my website. You can buy an antenna for $199, unless they've lowered it. For $199, you can get an antenna you can put on your roof, and it's got 17 Christian stations, networks on it, and that's all that's there, and they don't never cost you a penny ever again to watch it 24 7. There's no monthly charge. You can watch it forever, and you never have to pay. It's free. Once you buy it and put the hand on your roof, it is free. It never costs you a dime. And the, the other day, I don't watch sometimes 30 minutes a month, maybe, but at least I have it. And when I do watch it, the other day I went from the bottom to the top. When I first got it, there was nine Christian networks on it. Now there are 17. But they're all Christian. There's nothing else. No commercials. No nothing. It's just Christian teaching. I mean, all kinds of good stuff. So, But I don't even have time to watch that anymore. But anyway, it's there. But if you put any God before the Lord, it's going to bring some kind of sickness and disease to your house. It'll make you sick. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to get healed. I want to walk in divine health. Don't you, brother? I don't want to have to get healed. Walking in divine health is better than having to get healed. I've had the privilege in the last 20 plus years, to walk in divine health. It's so wonderful to know when I wake up in the morning I ain't going to be sick. You know, it's a great feeling to know when you go to bed at night. I don't even have to be concerned tomorrow when I wake up. Sickness is, I took it out of my vocabulary. Because Jesus bore my sickness and removed my disease. And when I received Him as my healer. See that word right there? It says sozo, S-O-Z-O. Some of you probably never heard that word before in your life. That is a Greek word, S O Z O, and in the English it means those five things saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. And that word SOZO is used in the Greek New Testament 120 times in 103 different verses. And when you go back and read those, sometimes it'll be translated saved sometimes healed sometimes made whole sometimes delivered sometimes preserved and sometimes helped, depending on which translation you're reading but when i got a hold of that word so-so i asked the lord why if i was healed on the cross like i was saved on the cross why had i been sick so many times since i was 11 when i made him my savior and he spoke to me in a voice i could hear He said, you've been sick because you've never received me as your healer by faith in my word. That night, I fell on my knees. I received the Savior. Not only as my Savior, but I now received Him as my healer. And I said, Lord, I'll go and tell everybody now that I've received you as my healer, just like I received you as my Savior. When you got saved, he said, by your confession. You go out and somebody says, are you saved? They should never have to ask you or you're saved. You ought to be telling everybody, I'm saved. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Walk in someplace, say, good morning. Praise God. Anybody in this place don't know Jesus, I come to tell you how to get saved. That's the way we ought to be, right, brother? Yeah. We ought to be talking to them about Jesus. Walk in, say, good morning. Praise the Lord. We go in to have dinner in a restaurant. I don't care if they ain't never been in that restaurant before. They bring our stuff over there. Praise God. Let's praise the Lord and bless this water. Okay? Sometimes even... The stewardess, or the waitress, bring her up there to the table. And say, young lady or young man, stand here while I bless this water in the name of Jesus. And then we drink the water. And then they bring us some iced tea. Say, oh, wait, we got to bless this now. We ain't blessed this. Let's bless the tea too. Amen. Then they bring you a salad. And we bless the salad. And then they bring us some bread. Say, oh, we've got to bless this now. And then they bring the main course. And we've got to bless this. And then they come back and refill your tea glass. Oh, stop right there. We've got to bless that before we drink it. In the name of Jesus, by the time you leave there, they will never forget you I again. Too. But that's the way we're all supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to be putting God so up front, so first, everywhere, everywhere we go, there ought to be a trail of the Holy Ghost behind us that everybody knows. There was a man and woman of God just walked in here. That's the way we need to live. We need to be so holy, talking about Jesus, and things that come out of our mouths need to be so clean and so pure and so holy. Somebody said, wow, I don't know what it was about that couple, but man, when they walked in, everything in this place changed. (laughs) Ain't that right, Eldon? That's the way we ought to be, as sons of God. Now, if we put God first and the Holy Ghost is with us under this new covenant of the church, which is what we are when we're walking out holy, You can walk through places, in restaurants, in workplaces. You can ask God to give you revelation in your business, in your job, and He will do it. I mean, He has done it for me. I've seen God as I walk through the workplace. I've seen some of the greatest miracles you can imagine. I mean, healings and miracles. In fact, when I think about you, when you walk in obedience to His Word, I want to quote a few scriptures to you. I want to show you some of these promises. And as I do it, I'm going to tell you a story about something happened just a few years ago down here at DFW Airport. And I was up in receiving, and I hear a woman screaming. I go running down to the hot food section, and there's a woman with big blisters on her right arm from right here all the way up to right here. And I thought, wow, what happened to her? Well, what I found out was she had been taking food out of a big commercial oven and her foot slipped on something slick and she fell and that arm fell down on a 250 to 300 degree steel door. And I mean it just fried her arm. You women that have touched a skillet, you know what I mean, right? Only she laid her whole arm down on one of them. It just burned all the skin off. Blisters, it looked awful. She was screaming Everybody was grabbing their first aid kit. They're pouring, trying to pour cold water on her. They're trying to get the salve out. They're trying to do all kinds of things. Nobody thinks about God at a time like this. Only those that are led by the Spirit. I come running down there, and I reached up and grabbed her on this arm, the one that wasn't burned. I said, Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 4, that He bore your pain, so you won't have to bear it. Now, see, you've got to read that in the Hebrew to get that word out of there because the word that's there is not pain. But when you read that in the Hebrew, you find out the word there, He bore your pain. So I knew that. So I'd read it in the Hebrew. I said, Jesus bore your pain. Then I said, in Mark sixteen eighteen, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Not very many people in the church believe these promises. But Jesus did say, to them that believe, these signs shall follow. Well, I'm a believing believer. And I think it's time all of us become believing believers. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But I said, I don't know how long it will take Him to do it. I don't want for you to just get well. So I said, Mark 11:23, Jesus said, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe it with my heart, I can have it. Is that an awesome statement from God in Mark eleven twenty three? Mark eleven twenty three. think about that, brother. Whatever you say with that mouth, if you can leave it with your heart, the king said you can have it. That's just a little more than most of us can grasp, isn't it? But he said that. So I said, since Jesus said that, I said, I say you're going to receive a supernatural healing from the king, and his name is Jesus. And I turned her loose and walked off instantly the pain left. She wouldn't even go to the doctor. All of a sudden, she's just, she said, it don't hurt no more. Let's take you to the doctor. She said, no, it don't hurt. So she went ahead and took the meal upstairs on the elevator and was feeding a 100 or 150 people at the cafeteria that evening. I was there with some of the guys and I went up to dinner with them. We walked in and one of the guys I was with, he looked down and he said, Adelina, Adelina, What happened to your arm? This was a Spanish woman, I'm guessing about 50. He said, Edelina, what happened to your arm? She could speak fairly good English. She said, oh, I burned it down there on the oven earlier. He said, well, good grief, go to the doctor. She said, no, it don't hurt at all. It don't hurt? That don't hurt? No. Went home that evening, her husband saw it. Now, what did I, I quoted the word how many times? Three times. Three times I quoted the word. How many times did Jesus quote the word for the devil left? Three times. I quoted the word three times. She goes home that evening. Her husband sees her arm. He said, my goodness, I'm going to take you to the emergency room right now. She said, no, honey, it don't hurt. It don't hurt at all. She said, I'm tired. I just want to go to bed. She said, if it's bothering me in the morning, we'll go in the morning. Now, the next morning when Edelina woke up and turned over and looked at her arm, there was not a mark on her arm. Beautiful, totally, completely normal. Now, who showed up, do you think, maybe? Jesus. Who? Could, who, who? Jesus. The king. That's absolutely right. I mean, that afternoon when she come back to her shift, little Melanie, one of the little cooks, he saw her come in. She said, Adelina, how's your arm? She held her arm up, and when she looked across the inside her arm, she screamed. She said, Another answer to Thurman's prayers. <laughs> Now, it's a shame it's got to be an answer to Thurman's prayer. Why isn't it an answer to your prayers? See, every one of us have that same power in us to get those kind of things done. I mean, when somebody says, Jesus, don't do miracles no more. Well, let me tell you, you got to me too late. The King does all kinds of miracles. When you walk in obedience to His Word and believe His Word, He's still the miracle work in Jesus. Now, I've seen so many of those kind of things in the last ten years, The average person in the church could not fathom where I've had the privilege of walking in the last 10 years. I've seen God do awesome things. I mean, awesome things. I mean, of course, a few years ago, all of you probably have heard the story of my granddaughter. If you haven't heard the story of my granddaughter, don't go home without getting a copy of either the Caitlin one or the Caitlin two or Caitlin's Miracle on DVD or get all of them. Because the one on DVD is only 30 minutes and you get to see her when she was a little four-year-old girl run out on that platform after the doctors say, you know, brain stem severed, you know, skull crushed in five places, eyes jerked out of her brain, you know, and all the bones broke around her face, heads twice its size, and, and lungs crushed, right knee crushed, left leg broken in two places. And I think God can heal that. Yeah, I think God can heal that. I think He can put it back and make it supernatural. Lord, I don't want her normal no more. I want her supernatural. I want her better than she was before. I said, Lord, I that little face has tore all to pieces. You said I could ask the Father in the name of Jesus anything I wanted in John fourteen thirteen, John fifteen seven, You said, anything I ask God, ask the Father in the name of Jesus, He will do for me. Aren't those awesome promises? who did He write those to? For Thurman? who did He write them for? Hey, for all of us, the church. He wrote those for the children of God. And you're using them too, aren't you, brother? Guarantee. That's why that boy is here with you today. Without the promises of God, that boy would still be laying up in the bed as a vegetable. But the promises of God is setting that young man free. And he's going to fully recover. And he's going to be able to ski again someday, praise God. You know, he'll be normal, supernatural. And, of course, Caitlin, you know, in two weeks, her little face will heal without a scar. And, you know, I mean, it's just amazing that how you stand on the Word day after day. I mean, the average person, they say it can't be. It's impossible. No, with God, nothing's impossible. All you've got to do is walk in obedience to His Word and stand on those promises. And He'll do the same thing for you He did for me. He'll do it. But He says, you can't put any other gods before me and get it done. In other words, it's kind of like a man being married to a woman. So Cheryl and I get married. She accuses me I only give her one day and four hours of a honeymoon anyway. And then we're on the road traveling again. She said we got married on Sunday, got one day and four hours, and we're on the road. You know, what a guy. But at least I took her with me, see. What if i to give her one day and four hours and said, Okay, honey, I'm on the road now. I've got to leave you at home this week. Hey, we just got married Sunday, and you're going to give me one day and four hours, and you're on the road again? I want to go with you. Nope, you can't go with me. I've got to go out there because I might have another girlfriend out there, and I can't see them if you're with me. How do you think that would go over, huh? I don't think that would fly. Do you? No, no, I don't think that would fly. None of you girls are willing. In fact, I was uh, talking up in uh, Sherman here a while back to a group. And I said, you know, it's kind of like a man and a woman being married putting God first. I said, you know, you've got to give him 24-7, like you've got to give your mate 24-7. And I looked back there to a couple and I said, you two married? And they said, yeah. I said, how long have you been married? 20 years. I said, okay. I said, your husband comes home to you every night? Yeah. I said, okay. So this year, after 20 years, he decides that he's only going to take one night and he's going to spend it with another woman. She said, he's going to need a doctor. <laughs> I said, but 20 years, he come home to you every day. And he's just going to give one day. She said, he better not. Now, see, that's kind of the way this jealous God we serve. Now, all of you understand what I mean. When you, if you're married, you do not want to share your mate with no one. You don't even want your mate to go out and have dinner with somebody else by themselves. If nothing else happens. It would offend me if my wife went out to dinner with another man and all she did is have dinner with him. It would offend me. Wouldn't it you? Sure it would. You know, you just, I mean, if I'm there, it's not a big deal. So some other guy comes, he sits down and has dinner was not a problem. But if some guy calls Cheryl, and says, hey, Cheryl, I'd like to take you to dinner tonight. Well, how about Thurman? No, I don't want him to go. <laughs> I want you to go with me. Okay, she said, we'll go. Forget it. <laughs> oh, it don't work either way. Well, see, God is just as jealous as we are. You know, he does not want to share us with anyone else. He wants us to spend time with Him. When we're with our mates, He wants us to pray and talk to Him and thank Him. You know, Cheryl and I go to bed. We lay that put my arm around her. I said, Lord, I want to thank you for this beautiful mate that you brought me. I won't tell you how much I love her. I want to tell you how grateful I am for her. See, now we're putting God, mixing Him in with everything we're doing. Everything. I mean everything. We get up in the morning. We start to have breakfast together. We don't talk about something. We talk about this with God. Lord, thank You for this beautiful food. Thank You for this house that You've given us to live in. Thank You for everything, Lord. We praise You and thank You for everything. And when you put God first in everything, what does He do for you? Whatever you ask Him for. Now then, He says, don't break my commandments. Well, we've come to realize that in the church, lots of people that think they're putting God first, they're not. They're not. In fact, I will tell you a story right here. I tell it in Ty's presence. I've told it several times. Ty, my associate pastor, he is a graduate of A&M. You know, he's a doctor. He's a great man of God and he loves God with all his heart and he made God a promise. Lord, he, and right now he's retired, and he was, had a big ranch, big ranch. He was raising hundreds of cattle. I mean, he's won some of the big awards at the stockyards. You know, He's had the grand champion. He's had all kinds of stuff. He loves cattle. Well, he made God a promise. I'll get up every morning at 4, and from 4 to 6, I'll spend time with you and study the Word. And then I'll go out and take care of my livestock and all that stuff. Well, he did. Every morning about 4, he gets up. And he spends time, he reads the Word, prays, talks to God till about 6, and then he goes out worshiping and praising the Lord to take care of his cows. Well, here last year, since he also is a little bit hung up on football, he'd get up in the morning at 4 and he'd think, well, I wonder who's going to be chosen to play for the Aggies this year. So he turned the computer on and he'd spend 30 minutes or an hour looking to see. Well, day 1 he did this, and day 2 he did this, and Day three, he did did this for about a week. And then one morning, he's waking up. It's normal now. When you get up at four, turn the computer on, look around see who's going to be playing for the Aggies, and then about 4.30 or 5 or whatever, okay, now get back with God. After four or five days of this, he said, I'm in the computer just looking. All of a sudden, I hear this voice. Ty, you're a whore. He said, God... I'm a man. How could I be a whore? He said, you're a spiritual whore. He said, you promised me you'd spend time with me from four to six, and you're looking on that computer. He said, I turned that computer off instantly. And he said, I guarantee during God's time, I don't ever turn it back on again. How would you like for God to call you a whore? It wouldn't bother me too much if you called me a whore. But if God called me one, that would really bother me. Because I know he don't ever make a mistake, and I don't want the king to call me a whore. Do you? No. But you see the way he looks at sin? When he says, you're to put no other gods before me, if you promise me four to six in the morning, I expect you to give me four to six. Not every other day, or not all year long, except when the Aggies are playing. I expect you to give me four to six every day. Ooh, I will say, it changed Ty's life. I will say, he definitely don't do it no more. If he does look to see when the footballs are playing, he does it well outside of God's time. He may do it this afternoon, but he don't do it between four and six. He does not put anything before God. But the Lord did say, didn't he? Put me first in everything. And then he says, after he says, put me first in everything, then he says, But I lavish my love on those who love me and obey my commands, even for a thousand generations. We love that one, don't we? Now, as long as those generations continue to love and worship God, how long will His love continue? For a thousand generations. Don't break that line of love. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse His name. How many Christians have you ever heard that Monday morning they're out there in the workplace and they're using the name of the Lord in vain? I've heard people in church, I'd say something and say, Oh God, wait a minute, repent. What do you mean? I said, you've used that name in vain. Oh, Jesus. Somebody's talking about. Something. Oh, Jesus. Hey, be careful how you use that. Amen. You know, if you're going to use the name of Jesus, use it telling somebody about God. Oh, God. My Lord and my God, and His name is Jesus Christ. Don't use His name in slang or flippantly. Mm-hmm. His name is holy. What did He say? If you misuse my name, you will not go unpunished. You reckon he means that? Amen. Since he's God and he said that and the word's forever settled in heaven, I believe I'll watch what I say. Don't you? Amen. Amen. I mean, it's written in your book too, isn't it? Amen. You know, how many people really believe God means what he says? Yeah. See, a lot of Christians, we say we do, but we go out there tomorrow. I mean, we may, we may use his name, you know, I mean, I've even heard Christians say G.D., you know. You know, everybody knows what G.D. stands for, don't they? It's a slang word that people use so flippantly. But it's easy to use his name in vain and not use it like that. Just to say, oh, Jesus, you know, or whatever. Or, oh, God. Yeah, just it's amazing how easy it is to misuse his name. And he says that that will not go unpunished. How many people do you think might be sick and afflicted because they've done that? Well, see, they never put the two together. Never understand why I'm sick. Because you used his name in vain and he didn't like it. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy six days a week you be about your daily duties and your regular works. But the seventh day of the week, you're to rest. Everybody needs a Sabbath. Everybody needs a day of rest. A day of rest. My honey is looking up at me saying, well, what are you going to start taking yours? <laughs> oh, I do. That's what was on her mind when I looked down. I can see that look in her eye. She says that, I, tell, I say, Sunday is my Sabbath. She says, you don't rest on Sunday. I said, yes, I do. All I do is preach. <laughs> Ain't no work in preaching. That's resting. That's fun. I enjoy that. That's about the Lord's work. Here, here while back, I was teaching in the healing school all day, just like I have been today. All day long. I'd been up t- standing, teaching, talking about God's Word, and then I prayed for people till midnight. The last healing school, we had a hundred and something people here. And we finally got away at 1.30 in the morning when we prayed for the last one. Well, I did start sitting down, but about 12 o'clock, the two young men, that came up and said, Well, it's our turn. I know you must be wore completely out. I said, I rebuke that curse in the name of Jesus. I said, The Lord is my strength. I am just as on fire right now as I was when I started this morning. And I wasn't tired. Not a bit. I mean, when you teach God's Word, He puts an anointing upon you, and you don't get tired. if you get up here and get tired of teaching God's Word, or you get up here, and in fact, here a while back, a lady came and said, I tried to get my pastor to come to your healing school. And he said, Well, what time does it start? She said, 1 o'clock on Saturday. He said, What time does it over? She said, Oh, no, 5 or 6. He said, What? What is he doing all that time? (laughs) She said, Well, he teaches God's Word. He teaches the whole time? He said nobody could listen to God. Nobody could listen to the Word of God more than an hour. She said, "You can, this guy." So I don't know. It's God's anointing that does it. It ain't me. I mean, after all, Paul used to preach all night long. You know, all night long. So if Paul could preach all night. Surely I can preach three or four hours. Isn't that right? It's not a big deal. It's just God. But we a lot of people are sick because they don't keep the Lord's uh, rules. But the seventh day is a day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any kind of work. So, usually, if on Sunday, we wake up on Sunday, and we usually fast on Sunday. Hardly ever do we eat anything. We come to church on Sunday, preach the Word, and then on the way home sometimes we'll stop and have a little bite to eat and then we'll go home and usually around 11 or 12 i'll start reading emails and all that stuff maybe i cut just a little bit short my 24 but i guess if i took it all the way back to the day before i really had a full 24 hours of rest all i did was come to church and preach a couple hours and pray for people a couple hours and see god do a few miracles and that's my sabbath and i enjoy it and i mean it's 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 so satisfying and so restful to be about God's business. It's not tiring to me at all. You know, it's just not tiring. So I love what I do. I love serving God. Don't you love serving God? I love serving the King. It shouldn't be drudgery. If, what you're, if Jesus is a drag to you, you don't know the same Jesus I know. You don't know the same Jesus. I mean, Jesus is not a drag. He is fun. His Word is fun. When you read it and study it and you learn what he says and start doing what he says, man, I mean, just think, when you start doing what he says, you need some help. You're at work. You're trying to do something, whatever you're trying to do. Like me, I used to build and design equipment, things, and, or I'd need a contractor or something, and I'd say, Lord, I've got to have this guy or these people or whatever. You've got to show me how to do this. And bam, he'd show me, give me an open vision or something, how to build or design something. And it's amazing What God can do. All you gotta do is ask. You know. He's a mighty God, but that's what He come to give you abundant life. You know, to help you, to answer you, if you just be obedient and serve Him. He does say in His Word, if you'll be obedient and serve Me, He said, You can ask me for anything and I will do it for you. Doesn't He, ma'am? Anything makes you the promise. Ask anything in my name and I will do it for you. I mean, the New Testament is full of awesome promises. But it's like we don't believe Him. I mean, it's full. But we don't believe these promises. Now, it's a shame. Then He says here, then He says, uh, we go down to the next one. The next one, it says, Honor your father and your mother. Look what he says. Then you will live a long, full life in the land for the Lord your God will give you. Honor your mother and your father. Well, what if you don't honor your mother and your father? What's it going to do to you? Going to shorten your life. That's exactly right. And a lot of people. You know, I've seen this and I never understood it. But after reading the Word, I'd run into a man. He's 70 years old. And he's just as healthy as he can be. I said, You got any brothers? He said, Well, I had a brother, but he died at 45. I said, What happened? He said, I don't know. He just had a heart attack and died. I said, You know, no curse comes upon a Sunday's earth. I said, Did you honor and love your mother and dad? Oh, yeah. He said, I love mom and dad. I took care of them. I still do. He said, My mom and dad's still alive. He said, But I really take care of them and I love them. I said, How about your brother? Oh, no, my brother, he never did. Dad always tried to get him to do, he'd never do what dad said. Always called him the old man. You know, he never honored dad. And he died at 45. Isn't that amazing? The Lord said in his word, honor your parents so that your life may be long on the earth. If you don't demand that your children honor you, you're doing an injustice to your children and you're shortening your child's life. See, God means what He says. Now, then, if people don't realize and have never put this together, in other words, no, no here's a young man, 50 years old, and maybe he's good healthy all of his life, and all of a sudden at 50, he just dies. You ever see anybody like that? Happens all the time. Why? Why does one live to be 50? Why does one live to be 20? Why does, why does one live to be 90? You think there's a reason for this? Oh yeah, it's right here in this book. This is the only book in the world you'll find it in, but when you read this book and you find ever answer to life is in this book, yeah. ever answer, but you've got to believe it. Then he says there, "Do not murder. Now then, how many of you in here have ever murdered anybody? Okay, I don't hold it. if you have, don't you hold your hand up.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Little guy, we're else his had up? But let me tell you something. Almost every one of us, in God's sight, have been guilty of murder. You have. You know that, right? You know why? Because God says under the new covenant, if we get angry with our brother, we're guilty. How many of you have ever been angry with somebody? Every one of us. So we're all guilty of murder. God said in His words, "Do not commit murder." But under the new covenant, has anybody ever read under the new covenant? He says, "If you get angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder." Mm-hmm. ever get, Well, the next one down here, he says, uh, "Do not commit fornication or adultery." Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people say, "I ain't never committed adultery. I won't never commit adultery." But then you say, "Have you ever looked at a woman to lust for her?" Wow. Almost nine hundred and ninety-nine and nine tenths percent of the men have been guilty of that. You know that? When you're a young man, some really pretty girl walks by, you know, and all the other guys were old guys, and whew, look at that. Isn't she beautiful? You've been guilty of that too, huh? <laughs> Everybody has. And all of a sudden, those thoughts come to your mind. You ain't telling nobody. But you're thinking in your mind, I wonder what that would be like to go to bed with that. See? You, know, you just committed adultery. Right there. You're guilty of adultery. Somebody said, but I never committed the act. Oh, yeah. In your head, you did. In your heart, you did. When that happened, you've got to repent. You've got to repent. God, I'm sorry. Protect my mind. I don't want to go there no more. I don't want to have them kind of thoughts no more. When I see a beautiful lady, I just want to say, wow, there's a beautiful lady God made. But that's as far as I want them thoughts to go. How do you make that happen? You learn to look at the ladies in one place. From here up. You never look from here down. When you look at a woman, you look at her right in her eyes. And you see two beautiful eyes. And when you look at her in your eyes, you'll never think about anything bad about that woman. Always look at the ladies in their eyes. And you never commit adultery. Now, if you've got a roaming eye, you know... Oh, and a pretty girl comes by and you look at her from the top to the bottom and up and back, and never look at her in the face, you're, you're guilty of adultery. You're guilty. And so you've broken that commandment right there. So you need to repent. and if you break that enough times, that will bring sickness and disease on your body. It'll bring sickness and disease to you. Do not steal. Like the guy down the other day, a guy said his son had got caught stealing pencils at school. He said, son, my goodness, why did you steal that pencil? He said, well, Dad, I needed a pencil, and they had a lot of them. He said, good grief, son, if you needed a pencil, one, you call me, and I'd have brought you one home from the office. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's just as guilty as his son? Sure he is. He sure, he probably had a desk drawer full of pencils, but they belonged to the company he worked for. They wasn't his. If he brought that pencil home, he's guilty of stealing. It's like when I started teaching these principles to the boys out there. When I was the director of engineering, I had a, a young man, about 40 years old, and I taught, he was a Christian. He went to church. And I started teaching him all these commandments. And I said, you know, if you steal anything that belongs to this company, you're a thief. So one day, he walked in my office, and he said, Mr. Scrivener, I hate what you do. I said, what do you mean? He said, I never had this problem until you came here. I said, well, what are you talking about? Well, he said, I was going to go to the lake this last weekend, and I needed a little quarter-inch brass nipple for my boat for the water system. He said, you know, we got a whole shelf full of them back there in the bin. I said, yeah, I know. We use them all the time. He says I got one put in my pocket. I thought I got to have that for my boat. So he said I walked out that door, and the minute I walked through that door on on the on the outside the company property, immediately something said you stole that part in your pocket. I see as long as he's still on the premises, there was nothing bothering him. But the minute he walked out the door, the Holy Ghost said you just became a thief. He said I went home and I fought that. I went out to the boat that afternoon. And all the time I'm putting it on the boat, it's saying, you're a thief. You're a thief. <laughs> he said, I put that on the boat. And I thought, now I'm going to be ready in the morning. Saturday, I'm coming out here and I'm going to go for a ride. He said, I come out there the next morning. I couldn't sleep that night. He said, on the morning, I woke up. I went by the hardware store and bought a new one. Brought it out here. Took that one off and put the new one on. And I brought that one back and I put it in the bin this morning. I said, Dan, you really don't hate what I do, do you? He said, no, sir, I'm really glad that you do what you do. He said, I didn't realize that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be so strong. But he said, the minute I walked out that door, he told me, you're a thief. Yeah. What did he say? Do not steal, right? And now then, you know what had happened to that boy? If he have put that piece on his boat and left it on there and not obeyed God, he might have got out there and hit a log and busted a hole in that boat and sunk that thing. And he would have never put the two together that it was because he stole that part. Isn't that amazing? But we don't get by with nothing. Everything is laid bare before the king. So things happen to us. Then he says, Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Boy, we talk evil about a lot of people, don't we? You know the way to keep from falsely testifying against anybody? About 3 nice 2-inch wide layers of duct tape wrapped around your head. <laughs> That's about all it takes for me, you know that I can't talk with that. So I'm serious, it's hard to say the right things out of your mouth. You have to really be careful. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Male or female servant, or their ox, or their donkey, or their car, or their airplane, or anything else your neighbor
1: owns.
0: (laughs) Don't covet nothing, right? If somebody else has got something you don't have, say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving that person this. You know, I'm grateful. I am so grateful for what you've done. And I'm grateful for what you've done for me. Now, Lord, I want to keep all of these commandments. Now then, if you don't keep these commandments, every time you break one of these rules, you will have fell from grace, and you've transgressed the law of God, and you've given the devil legal right to attack you. And that's why we get sickness and disease. Every time we break one of these... Somebody says, but I'm walking in obedience to God's word and I'm in faith and I'm under God's grace. Yes, God's grace is when you walk in love and holy in obedience to his word. That's when it is. Now I want to show you that, and I want to show you where you gotta to walk to walk there, and I want you to turn to first Peter two twenty one. I want to show you what the Lord says there in 1 Peter two twenty one. First Peter 2, get over here to it in just a minute, this is a new Bible I'm reading out of today and it takes me a little time to find some of these, I don't have any of Mark like I do in my other Bible. 1 Peter 2.21 and this NLT says this suffering is all part of what God has called you to do to Christ who suffered for you and he is your example. Then it says follow in his steps. Follow in his steps. This is what's walking in grace. He suffered for you and he left. Everything he did as an example for you that you will follow in his steps. Well, then we say, well, what is his example? Well, starting with verse 22, he tells you what his example is. And he says, he never sinned who did no sin. How much sin are you supposed to walk in? None. Do you think you can do that? Yeah. Sure you can. If God told you to walk in no sin, you can walk in no sin. As a Christian, every time your flesh desires to sin, you have to do what Paul says. You have to beat your body to bring your body into to subjection to the spirit. Your body will want to be sick. Your body will want to be lazy. Your body will want to be weak. Your body will want to overeat your body will want to underindulge in exercise. In fact, I was up at the bank this week, and I saw a sign. It says, exercise is a dirty word. And every time I think about it, I wash my mouth out with chocolate. (laughs) The lady that was the banker, I said, you must love chocolate. She said, yes, I do. I said, have you thought about exercise today? She says, as a matter of fact, I haven't. (laughs) I said, I wonder if you've washed your mouth out with chocolate yet. Oh, she said, I can wash my mouth out with chocolate even when I don't think about exercise. (laughs) She must love chocolate, right? How many people like chocolate? Lots of people do. It's wonderful. It's lovely. I know when my honey bunny, when she gets a little, she said, wow, taste this. This is wonderful. So, you know, I take a little bite. And if I'm not careful, you know, we're just still there nibbling on stuff like that 30 minutes later. You know what happens when you start grazing? You can just overindulge. You know, you can get grossly overfull. You have to say no. You know, I can just have sat down at a beautiful dinner, and I'm comfortably full, and walk in... And somebody's got some kind of sure enough good pie and ice cream or something that I like. And say, hey, pastor, would you like to have some of this? And I'm reaching out for it. And I, my body said, no. I mean, my spirit said, no, no, you don't need that. You're already over full. But I'm saying, oh, look at that. though! Doesn't it look wonderful? Now, one of them's is going to win out, isn't it? One of them's going to win out. I'm either going to sin and overindulge in food. Or I'm going to say, no, thank you, I'm full. Well, every time you come to anything that's sin, God gives you, as a child of God, a choice. You can make the choice. Am I going to talk evil about this guy? He just done something bad to me. Am I going to hold a grudge against him, or am I going to get even with him? Somebody says, I don't hold grudges. I just get even. You seen that 6 shoot on the back of a car? You know, that's with that sign, any of you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. I don't hold grudges. I get even. Hey, That's worse. That guilty, that guy's guilty of murder. Guilty of murder, as well as unforgiveness. Then he says, after who, after he's talking about there, when he says after we follow his steps and he never sinned and he never deceived anyone, you're never to deceive anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. That's a hard one, isn't it? When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. See, God, only God knows our heart. He knows where you're coming from. If your husband wakes up in the morning and he's having a bad day, and he doesn't do anything right, I mean, he doesn't tell you he loves you, He doesn't say, you're beautiful today. You know, don't get a grudge against him. Who knows what he might be under today? Who knows what kind of pressures at work he may be under? Who knows what he went through last night or yesterday? So don't be on his case. Just love him. You know, If for you girls... If your husband appears to be having a bad day and he doesn't wake up in the morning all full of fire and look at you and say, Wow, you're gorgeous today. I love you. Now, that's what you want to hear, isn't it? Sure, that's whatever young lady wants to hear. Is that what you want to hear, young lady? Ah, there's another one. She just like all the rest of them, see. <laughs> I know mine loves that. But what if I'm busy? What if something else has got in there, See? She ought to come over and hold me and hug me and really put herself right in front of me and say, Well, you know, I say, Oh, okay, honey, I say, You're beautiful. I know what she's trying to do. She's trying to get my attention. She wants me to say, You're beautiful today. That's what she wants to hear. Once I say that, then she's okay. I mean, we get ready to come to church and I'm busy getting things ready. I'm going 90 miles an hour getting outlines together and Bibles together and all the stuff together. And She comes out and she walks right by in her beautiful dress coming to church and everything and I don't say a word. We walk up to the door and we start to go outside and she's standing in front of the door saying, well? (laughs) And i got to stop, back up and say, wow, you sure are beautiful. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear. Now we can go get in the car. These girls love to be told they're beautiful by their husbands. If you don't do that regularly for your wife, you need to start. Girls like to be told they're beautiful. They like to be told they're precious. And every man should think his wife is the most beautiful woman in the world. That's the way you should look at it. Now then, the Lord says here, after we've done this, He says, After God judges fairly, He carries away our sins in His own body on the cross so we can be dead to sin and live for what is right or righteous. Now then, since He bore your sins and you're dead to sins, do you have the right to stay dead to sin to say, I don't have to sin today? Yes, you can. And then look what He says. If you do that, He says, then you have been healed by His wounds. You'll see if you'll do everything from verse 21 down, walk holy in obedience to His word, then you can say, "By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed." See, you give no place to the devil when you walk in obedience to His word." It's easy to break God's rules, like when he says, "Do everything without grumbling and complaining. You know, you have to be awful careful there. Awful, awful careful. It's so easy to fall into grumbling and complaining. I have to watch myself regularly. And I know you will too. But God says do all things without grumbling. In fact, I'll tell you, about on, on grumbling, we had a young lady come here on the Tuesday night Bible study here a while back. She said about where this lady is with a, a kind of purple shirt on over there. And when she came in, her neck was all drawn over. I said, what's wrong with you? She said, i got a crick in my neck, and you've got to pray for me before we leave tonight. Well, that night I was teaching in Philippians, and in chapter 2, when I come to the part where it says God says do all things without grumbling and complaining, I said, now, if you go back grumbling and complaining, it'll call a demon to you, and he will afflict you, and he'll hurt you. And she thought, oh, my goodness, that's what's wrong with me. She said, a week ago on Monday morning when I walked in, a couple things went wrong, and I started grumbling. And she said, the next day it was worse, so I grumbled more. And the next day it got worse, so naturally I grumbled more. And she said, the more I grumbled and complained, the worse things got. And so she said, by the weekend, my crick began to come up in my neck. And by Tuesday, Bible study, she could hardly move her head up. It was hurting so bad. And when she heard me tease it, she said, Lord, that's me. That's me. That's all I've done for the last week is grumble and complain. She said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I repent. And you know what happened? Instantly she was healed. Sitting right there in that chair. All she had to do was say, Lord, I repent for my grumbling and complaining and I won't do it no more. And he delivered her, sitting right there in that chair. Healed her right there. Isn't it amazing how true the Word is? Now then, if you... What? Oh, 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 I thought she was holding up that other sign i I thought, I thought what I didn't know what she had two signs there, and I couldn't get the bottom of it. I ducked at the first one, but yeah, anyway, something that we definitely need to get a hold of as Christians, we definitely need to learn not to talk about or grumble about preachers. you know that will bring sickness and disease to your body. You know if your preacher is not doing what you think he should be doing, then pray for him, you know. Go to the throne of grace for him. You know, because he's probably doing the best he can with the knowledge he has. You know, he probably does not have that revelation. Because I didn't have this revelation that I have today. I've only been acquiring this for about the last 30 years. But a lot of them don't have it. A lot of them don't. And if you don't believe that... You can go to the Internet, and you'll find some people that's written articles about me that are THDs in seminaries. And they will tell you what I'm teaching is a lie. And they'll tell you that. You know, that Thurman Scribner does not understand God's Word, and what he's teaching is a lie. But I can tell you, those men that wrote those articles, there ain't none of them getting a prayer answered. and ain't none of them getting nobody healed. None of them. But God is healing hundreds of people and thousands of people through this ministry. And so what I'm teaching is exactly what's written in this book. So, obviously, God likes it, you know, because I don't do the healing. He does. Is that right, Steve? God does the healing. So, He does it. So, now then, before we close this afternoon, just a few minutes, if you get ever sin repented of, we've touched on a lot of things that will make you sick. But now then, when you get your sins repented of, we've already touched on several different verses that will get you healed. James 5, 14, 15, and sixteen. Was that one that would get you healed? Yes. Was that a promise from God to heal you? If you repent of your sins? Confess your false one to another that you may be healed? Yes, yes it is. That's a good one. Then I want you to go look at some of these magnificent promises like Mark eleven, twenty three and twenty four. I want you to look at some of these wonderful promises God made you in his word, if you'll be obedient. And confess your sins and walk holy before Him. Mark eleven twenty three. He says, if you have faith, you can speak to a mountain and command the mountain to be removed and cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, that mountain will obey you. Amen. So then he goes a little further and says, so therefore, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have whatever you say with your mouth. Now, that's pretty awesome. It, it, that's just pretty awesome. Stop and think. God has given His children the ability or the privilege to speak out of your mouth things, and whatever you say with your mouth, you're going to have it. Now, what if you all you do is go around saying, Oh, I'm sick. I'm tired. I'm getting old and wore out. I just can't make it another day. I'll be so glad when I retire. I'll be glad when I get to heaven. I know Christians that talk like that. You know that? I know Christians that talk like that. Why do you think they're sick and afflicted and tired all the time? Because they're speaking it all the time. But when you start saying what the Word says, the Lord is my strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing's impossible with me because I'm a son of God. I don't ever get tired because Jesus is my master. He is my strength. When His words is in your mouth, what will it do to your body? Your body will line up with the Word. I'm not sick. Jesus bore my sickness, removed my disease. I'm going to walk holy and obedient to His Word, and I ain't never going to be sick again in the name of Jesus. Somebody said, now wait a minute. Everybody's going to be sick. Yeah, you can be if you want to. But I ain't going to be... You ain't either no more, are you, Paul? No, sir. Not after what you've learned in the Word. You go walk in obedience to His Word, you go walk in divine health, right? right. Hey, and you go drive right, too, yeah. And you stop getting tickets and everything else, right? Clean. You're clean. Now, God made you those promises. He made you those promises in His Word. Then He says in Mark eleven twenty four. So whatever you desire when you pray, believe you've received it, and it shall be yours. Is that an awesome promise? What can you do with a promise like that, son? Anything you can believe him for. If you can believe God, there's nothing impossible. You can stand on Him, Eddie. You can get healed in the name of Jesus. Yeah. So all these wonderful promises. Mark, 11, I mean, John 14:12. John 14:12. Jesus makes a statement. In John fourteen twelve, he says, To anyone that believes in me, not only shall you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I have done shall you do in my name. Hey, if we could just get to where we do what Jesus did, we'd be doing pretty good, wouldn't we? I want to get there. But the king says we can do greater things. But let me tell you something I'm doing greater than the king ever did. You know, the largest group that Jesus ever preached to was a few thousand. Is that right? Yep. Do you know that we're on television five and six times a week, and we're on t- radio, about 12 or 13 radio stations across this country, and I have no idea how many million people every day I preach to. I have no idea. But see, that's one of the things Jesus said in His name, we shall do greater things than He did. Jesus never spoke to millions, but I have millions. In fact, we're on, I think it's 175 million homes in India alone we're on five times a week. Five to- in India, just in India. 175 million households get the cable that we're teaching on five times a week. Jesus never did that, did He? But He's doing it through us. Amen. It's Him that's doing it. That's when He said, Greater things than these that I've done shall you do in My name. We're doing everything in the name of Jesus. And now then, these satellites that we're on, we're covering two-thirds of the world, five 30-minute shows a week. And guess what? You know what five 30-minute television shows that cover two-thirds of the world would cost? Have any idea what that would cost? What if you want to go down here to NBC or CBS or one of them and say, I want to be on your worldwide network and I want five 30-minute shows a week. Have any idea what that would cost? Any idea? It would be in the millions. And we're on five times a week, and you know what it costs me? Free. Not a dime. God pays the bill. Isn't that awesome? What can God do? He can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can even think or imagine. So when it comes to healing your body, all you've got to do is walk wholly before God, believe His promises, repent, and keep yourself clean and pure. Now, if you're here today and you're not sick, and you want to keep walking and no sickness and no disease, you've got to do what He says in His book. You put Him first, you can walk in divine health. But if you are sick and you do have a problem, if you'll believe His Word and we pray over you, and then you're willing to stand on His Word, He'll do one of two things for you today. He'll either do a miracle and heal you right on the spot, or He will heal you over a period of time. And sometimes it does take a little time. I mean, sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes it takes a month. Sometimes it takes longer. Dave Rosenfeld took a year and a half. He's the longest. Miss Emily Dodson took her a year with, with terminal cancer. But I don't understand that. But I know when you do stand on His promises, He will heal you every time. Yes. But you've got to stand with no doubt in your heart it makes no matter how bad the enemy tries to attack you, you've still got to believe the promises of God instead of the symptoms that are on your body. And when you do, you will get your healing. I've seen it happen over and over and over. have been doing this now for a long time. Taught it to thousands of people. And I've seen thousands of them healed. But all you got to do is what God says. His Word, He's no respecter of persons. So when you repent of every sin, and stand on His mighty word; He will do whatever you ask Him to do. But He expects you to walk holy now. He expects you to walk holy. If you have sinned, if you will ask Him to forgive you, He will. He'll restore you, and that's a that's a good that's a plus, a very good plus. But if you come up here and you come up here without repenting to God, remember, I'm not God; He is, and He knows everything. You can't do nothing in you can't hide nothing from the King. He knows the intent of your heart. He knows what you're thinking. So, before you come up for prayer, Cheryl and I are going to be here praying for people. Eldon and Nancy are going to be here praying for people. I think Sharon's going to be up here praying for people. I know at least this many is going to be here. These people are on our staff. They work for us. They work in this team. And we're going to be praying for people. And however long it takes, we're going to be here to answer your questions and to pray for you however long it takes. She outside, okay, okay. So, we'll we're, we'll we're, we're gonna close with a word of prayer and then we're gonna start praying for people. But Cheryl and I is gonna walk outside out here to pray for a person that's outside that couldn't come in. And, and so, you know, don't run off. Eldon and Nancy will be here, Sharon will probably be up here. I don't know who else will be up here, but at least two or three. We'll be up here praying, and we'll go outside and pray for this lady outside. Then we'll be right back. We're not going to run off. We're going to be here till this thing is over, whatever it takes. So don't, nobody run off thinking you're not going to get prayed for. We do not run off. We are here to be about the King's business. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and praise you for this beautiful day. I thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you and praise you that you're the healer, you're the deliverer, you're the provider, you're the everything. And, Lord, that I want to thank you for sending your Holy Spirit and Jesus here today to meet the needs of your people. As we touch them, minister to them, and lay hands on them, you will deliver them and heal them, and you will put them in a new place. And we praise you and thank you, Father, for doing it for people. In Jesus' name, amen.